Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Red Solo Cup, I fill you up. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. R.I.P. to the goat. One of the one of the greatest. I couldn't have been more sad when I woke up this morning. I so what happened was I woke up. I received a text from my friend Zach, as many of you know him, uh, and he says pouring out for Toby. And I didn't know what the hell that meant. So I get on X.com and I saw the news. Truly, and I mean this uh, sincerely. And say what you want about country music, the way it's evolved today. It's you know, it's the I'm not a big fan of the Luke Bryan. Uh, style of country music, but Toby Keith was one of the greats. I remember, uh, you know, growing up, obviously, when you're 13 years old, you hear Red Solo Cup and you lose your mind, you think it's silly, but then you get older and you start listening to some of his other stuff, and it's really good. I, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Big Blue Note, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Obviously, you hear the fun ones, Who's Your Daddy? Uh, I, I don't, I want to talk about me. Uh, there's just so many good ones, and and to, to see this guy, this legend, pass away. Uh, from a disease that really just sucks. I, I think you know. I, you, you look. You look at the uh, the way. You gonna the, die on that hill? That cancer sucks. You want that one written down? Hey, you write that one down. I'll Elliot die on that hill. doesn't I like can, cancer. I think cancer is such a hor, just an absolutely horrible disease, and the fact that we all still have to deal with it is is nonsense. Uh, but R.I.P. my guy, Toby Keith. You know, every day for the past four, five years now, I've listened to. I, I, I'm, Every I'm, day. I'm very OCD. I listen to country music on my way to work, and I listen to pop music, whatever, whatever I want to listen to on the way home. It's just, it's just my tradition. I always listen to country music. Today, I was blasting Toby Keith the whole way in. Yeah, uh, we'll do the intro here in a second, but one of my fondest memories as a kid was riding around on 4th of July when I was like 16 years old, and we played uh, that Toby Keith song, We'll put a boot in her ass. It's the American way. Hey, Uncle Sam. We're not going to sing the whole song. <laughs> but uh, also as a kid, I, my karaoke song of choice, it always got the people rolling, was uh, I Love This Bar by Toby Keith. That's a great one. You just, I mean, you want a cheap, you want a cheap applause? Just just substitute wherever you're, I love this bar for wherever you're at. Yeah. You go to Champions, I love Champions. That's a harder one because that's three syllables. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Hey, guys, welcome to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. As you can see, there is no Tom here today. He'll be back tomorrow. So we'll be back on uh, the show as normal. But there's a lot of good stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Obviously, the Reds made some moves. There was other moves made in MLB. There was a huge decision made in college athletics yesterday. Um, we have a new game for you later on in the show. It's going to be called uh, Over Under. Yes. Over Under. We're excited to, to give you that one. Um, as of this moment, the Cincinnati, or the Cincinnati Bearcats still aren't on Lenardi. You know, Lenardi as... I think people, when they get close to college basketball, understand that Joe Lenardi maybe isn't the the voice of reason when it comes to um, who's in the tournament or who's not. But he was the first one there, right? He, he invented, he coined the term bracketology. So he still has a big voice in, in really the lay the layperson's uh, view of college basketball. And he still doesn't have the Bearcats in. So we'll talk about what it takes for the Bearcats to even start getting some recognition all that here on Off the Bench. Uh, let's flip it over. Casey, how are you doing on this beloved 
Tuesday morning. I'm doing all right, Reed. I'm doing okay. Uh, the Toby Keith news is sad. It's uh, one of my favorite songs, Red Solo Cup. Maybe that makes me basic, but yeah, it's uh, it's a sad day for me. Um, excited to, for the show today. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Sure. Um, try to keep it more serious and uh, see how it goes. What is your favorite Toby Keith song? Red, Red, Solo. Red Solo Cup. He said it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. sorry. That's okay. Kelsey, how you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> good. Uh, that was good. mean. That was mean. Well, I just have to keep it with traditions, and that's a, that's our tradition on this show. We call Lindsay Kelsey, and and that's it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Toby Keith song? She didn't know him. Didn't know who Toby Keith was. This, this is how sad our. This is how sad that generation is. They don't know who Toby Keith we're is. We're in today. the same generation. Yeah, no. Well, about? clearly you're, we're not. You're like two years older than her. Yeah, but that's like. I mean, it might might as well be a lifetime. She doesn't know who Toby Keith is. That's a, that's one of the greatest country singers ever. Maybe the greatest. I'd argue the greatest. That's, that's a step. I'd argue it. That's I'd argue st- it. That's a step. I'd argue it. There's going to be some people here. In this I think he's better than the Beatles. Is he? It, pop or rock? Who? Toby? Toby Keith. Rock. Pop. Hard rock. Pop. No, he's not. Pop. No, he's not. That's silly. Pop. All right, guys. Let's get into uh, let's get into this show. Kelsey, it's nice to have you in the room. Really nice I love you. being here. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about Dartmouth, right? Like we, we, we brought it up in the when we intro this uh, show. And listen, what they ruled is that Dartmouth basketball players are officially employees of the school. And this has many ramifications on the future of the NCAA. The NCAA has fought against these athletes being labeled as employees, right? They want to keep their amateur status. They do not want to pay. It's about keeping up the amateur status of the sports. And this kind of shows the road ahead for college athletics. That if this if this goes to Supreme Court, if this gets finalized, that it is a, a true ruling that these players are going to get paid from the school and all NCAA employees or all NCAA athletes can start getting paid from the school, then amateur status is done. It's over. And this is kind of what we started talking about uh, yesterday. Just We touched on it a little bit, uh, what's going to happen with the NCAA. And, and, and what you're seeing now is that the NCAA, and I would bet in less than five years, five to ten years, will be no more. The issue with, with, with all of this is not the basketball teams, the football teams, uh, you know, in some schools, the soccer teams, lacrosse teams. It's, it's the other sports. It's the sports you don't really hear about right. uh, at all. You know, the bowling team, the, the field hockey team. What happens to all these other uh, programs that are school run? Do they become clubs is, is what I have to start wondering here. Right. Because they aren't going to be part of the sanctioned be. workforce. Correct. They uh, can't be. So, so I, I don't know. I this is just. I think this is uh, the beginning of the end for the NCAA. I think this is where collegiate athletics, um, and again, really, why everybody loves collegiate athletics is because they're amateurs, because they're kids, uh, fighting for rivalries, fighting for school spirit, as it were. That's all gone now. Now they're working essentially a nine to five. It's not those hours, but that's essentially what they're doing for their university, and that means it's the end of the NCAA. It means it's the end of college athletics. Uh, it's the end of what pretty much um, what started our love for, for college sports. Listen, when, when, you, when you live in a capitalist society, you are worth what you bring in. And this was always the argument for people saying that college athletes should get paid. It's right. It's the Ohio State Buckeye starting quarterback is worth millions and millions of dollars because that's what he brings to the University of Ohio State. 
high state university i am all over the place but that's the same thing uh columbus tech as we like to call it sometimes. yeah that's what i call it yeah but when you're worth that much money you should be paid you should be compensated this is what people have argued for the longest time and this is where nil came right they said all right Name, image, likeness. If they're going to be selling jerseys, if they're going to be selling Justin Field jerseys with his yeah. number in the stadium, he should get a cut of that. Which is fair. And More that's fair. absolutely fair. But you, you laid it out perfectly. When you set the precedent that if you play college athletics, you are an employee of the school, then you can't discriminate on all of the sports, on any of them. If you are a football player, if you are a rower, you are an employee of that sport. And I think you brought it up that, yeah, are they going to just say, listen, we, 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 can't, we can't pay you guys. We can't pay um, the rowing team because no one's buying tickets to go watch the rowing team compete. We can't pay the wrestling team because there's not like we, – we, we, we can't comprehend paying you guys when there's no one showing up to the, to the matches. So there's two options. You either pay them and, and, and just bleed money. The school just bleeds money, and hopefully that the football program makes enough for the school that all of a sudden they can they can comprehend paying, doing all these athletics. Or do they say, listen, we will continue giving you facilities. We will continue doing all this stuff, but you're going to have to be a club school. You're going to have to be a club sport, that, which just kind of circumnavigates the whole problem. And I think that, you know, when I was in college and I was at Toledo, <clears throat> I was on the club tennis team, right? It's it's the university where I guess I don't know how I don't know how to exactly say the word I guess we're sanctioned by the university, we're a part of the university, but at the same time the players and the team, uh, you know the the president, the vice president, the the treasurer, we're funding that team, we're funding our trips to go all across the country and play in these uh, college right. uh, club tennis things, and that's what I think it's going to have to be, because like what Reed just said, the NCAA is not going to pay them anymore. They're not going to give them anything. Uh, to support the program because they are busy paying uh, the people who do make money for the university and the football team, basketball teams. It, it, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was going to say, and this trickles down not just Division One. Oh yeah, this goes all throughout the NCAA schools, like where I went to, Bluffton University. Their entire premise of the school is to get you to go play sports there. Bluffton University's enrollment is like eleven hundred kids. Yeah. It's a very small school. 800 of the 1,100 kids play athletics. I think 200 play on the, are on the football roster alone. And all of a sudden, if the precedent has been set legally that if you play college athletics, you are an employee of the school, then those schools can't, can't do this any longer. No. That can no longer be a part of the school's model. No, and, and, and I, I think we, we, can, we can sit here and talk about the school's but Mr. Mo put it in the chat, and I agree. The NCAA, this is the result of the NCAA. This is their fault, uh, their inability to, to create any sort of consistency with their rules, with their rule following, with, with their rule criteria. Uh, it, it's why we're all here today. You know, when you make college football 2014 on Xbox, uh, it's not hard to say that some of those players in the game that represent the likeness and image of the players at those universities should get somewhat of a cut. These rules, uh, these rules that have been in place for decades upon decades that have just now starting to be changed up around all, all around the collegiate athletics, I think this was a result of the NCAA's failure to, to govern the student body. I think that's what's going on here. Uh, and it's sad. It is sad because this is the end. This is the end of college athletics. This, Dartmouth is the first one to drop. There will be, I'm telling you right now, dozens more soon.
it's, soon. <clears throat> we talked yesterday about how the NCAA is, is crucial to college athletics. It, it, it isn't crucial to football. I know that's where it, it's his biggest brand. And, and really, it, it can be non-crucial to basketball. Like those can can operate on on a separate thing, but someone need there needs to be a governing body overseeing all of the other sports. Essentially, what the NCAA does is they they set rules, they enforce the rules, and they run tournaments. That's all they do. That's mm-hmm. all they do. When when it comes to league stuff, that's handled by the Big Ten. That's handled by the Pac-12, which is going to be no longer. All these things, all these conferences, they settle the schedule. They settle. You know their conference tournaments, but the NCAA, the the main thing they do is they set rules, they get you officials, and they they uh, run tournaments. That's still gonna be a need. One hundred percent. Still gonna be a need. One hundred percent. But I I don't think it can be the NCAA anymore. I, I don't know what standing they have left. I, I I really don't. We we talked about the the UC thing this year with Aziz and uh, right. Jamil Reynolds. Those guys, per the rules, probably uh, shouldn't have been able to transfer again. But because there's so many gaps in those rules, legally speaking, they are able to transfer. That's, and that's the part where nobody understands anymore. It's, there's, so many, there's so many holes, there's so many gaps in the rules that the NCAA creates that we don't have a, we don't have a firm grasp of what it is they're doing. Because and essentially anybody can do whatever the hell they want. Right. And the NCAA will make up rules as they go. And if somebody threatens a lawsuit, they're out. They're done. And that's what the Ohio was a governor. I, I think it was the Ohio governor. I'm not sure who, who it was that threatened this. But I, I, I think as we move forward with collegiate athletics, and Mr. Moe brought up a point that the NCAA and college football can be separate. It certainly can. I think that's, gone, that's, that's an inevitability. Yeah. That is, that is coming sooner rather than later. I agree. And it's, I think college basketball is going to take the same route. Any money-making, women's college basketball too, I think women's volleyball probably too, any of the big money-making events uh, for these schools, they will be separate uh, from the NCAA. But at that point, Reed, it's not college athletics anymore. It's not. Yeah. It's become, it becomes a workforce. I'm not I'm – not, I, I, let, let, me, let me be very clear. I don't care that the players get paid. In fact, I, I've always thought that they should get paid. I'm worried what this ruling sets because, as we know, football players, basketball players, if you if you bring a gate to your school, if you make money for your school, if you make sponsorship dollars or donors bringing money to your school because they want to see your athletic program succeed, succeed, then yes, you should be compensated for that because you're worth money, because you are worth money. If, if you are a Penn State wrestler, I, I brought up wrestling earlier. If you're an Iowa or Penn State wrestler, you are worth money because people love that. Let me ask you this. You were a, a college athlete. Yeah, kind of. You were, you were paid, essentially, in scholarship, correct? Not at Division III. You don't, that, that's the thing about Division III. There's no scholarship money. But they work, they, they work around it. They give you they, they give you a lot of scholarship that I probably didn't didn't correct. Uh, so so you do get paid essentially. Is that right. payment? I mean, obviously it's different, but does that payment not count anymore? Is that what we're saying? I always thought that was tired. In all honesty, like I remember arguing with my uncle when I was a, a, a wee lad about college football. I was like these guys should be paid, and he's like, they get paid in scholarship and money. They're getting paid fifty thousand dollars a year, and and you know, I was like, yeah, but like. $50,000 a year when you're worth millions, when you're worth millions of dollars. Marvin Harrison Jr. 
is worth more than his scholarship. Much more than his scholarship. Yeah, I don't, like, listen, I don't, I, I, I don't understand all of the, the, the trickling down. I can tell you that if the precedent has been set that if you play college athletics, you are you can be listed as an employee of that school, then they can't discriminate depending on the, the sport you play or the division in which you play at. Like I said, like if, if Dartmouth basketball can do this, this means Bluffton basketball can do this because they are essentially college athletes. Yeah. When it comes to Bluffton baseball, yeah, we, 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 have, we have 60 people showing up for our games and they're not paying money. They just wander on up to the field and, and watch it. Yeah, we ain't bringing any money in. So we, 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 we made our money back. And essentially, we actually paid money to play baseball in college. But, but, but let me ask you this. Who is, who is responsible? And we, we just touched on it a little bit. But when Dartmouth – so Dartmouth is no longer part of the NCAA. They're, they're, they're run by the university now. Like they're employees of the university. Right. When they break rules that are against the NCAA but not against Dartmouth policy, what's, what's the ruling there? What's the punishment? Because that's the part where I still don't understand it. Because you are right. At somebody, some third party has to, to be uh, the rule bearer here, right? They have right. to. But I don't understand what the answer is when Dartmouth basketball player, let's say they, they do some, some off-the-court thing that, that the NCA has a rule against, but the university doesn't. Are they suspended? And if they are suspended, who suspends them? Yeah, like what? what you what still is, get paid? What is the employee policy? Seriously. Like uh, – not to be too crude here, but I assume Dartmouth has a, hey, professors don't sleep with students thing. Correct. That's an employee policy, and now these players are employees of the school. How does that trickle down to the players? Like, I don't know. And, that's, and these, are, these, are, these are questions that, to be quite honest, I don't know if we'll ever have the answer to. Uh, maybe in year, year, years, years down the line we'll have answers to it, but not anytime soon. And that's the part I don't understand how they're going to navigate this. Because this is the first, and there will be many, many more. If I had to take a guess, all these Ivy League schools are going to follow Dartmouth. Uh, I would say maybe if not this year, then the next couple of years. And then after the Ivy League, another conference. And they'll just keep going down, down, and down until the whole NCAA, at least in collegiate Division I college basketball, all of them are, are employees of their universities, in which case the NCAA is irrelevant. What happens to the NCAA tournament? What happens to that? It, yes. Uh, my question is, is, does the NCAA have any power to fight back? Because they went to the National Labor Relations Board. That's where they went. This can still go to the Supreme Court. It can go higher up. The NCAA has been pushing Congress for years, for years, to put a bill into act, basically fighting against this. Saying that when you're a college athlete, you are not an employee. Because they saw the writing on the wall as much as we did, right? Yeah. They, they think about it a lot more than we do because it is the livelihood of the governing body of the NCAA. So do they have any teeth to fight this decision? Can they take this a step? Can they take this up to Supreme Court and go like, hey, this isn't this is against the Constitution, whatever the Supreme Court does. I'm not, I'm not a social studies teacher here. I don't, I don't know. I, and, and I don't know. And that's, I guess, we'll, I'll, I'll try to find an expert on this, and we'll have him on as a guest to explain this stuff to us. But as of right now, it seems like this is the beginning of the end uh, of collegiate athletics as, as we know it, as we've known it for the past 50 years, because this is essentially professional, professional sports. Uh, the, Dartmouth, the Dartmouth basketball team, they're 100% professionals now. 
Mm-hmm. They're they are having they're starting their own career, uh, and they are employees of the university as they try to, if you want to say, follow their dreams or whatever they get or what their next step to the NBA. As of right now, they are not college athletes. They are just essentially at the the starting the the bottom of a of a long of a long journey up to the top. What's wild is is that. In, in the articles that I read talking about this, they, they brought up like how much are these players going to get paid as employees of the institution, and they said minimum wage, showing that it's it's not about the money. Correct. It's about setting the precedent that yes, these are college athletes. What's the NCAA rule that you're only allowed to give like 20 hours a week towards your sport? And and most uh, most studies say that they work 40 to 50 hours, which I mean like like I said, I went to a D3 school. You spent more than 20 hours a week on your sport yeah. at a school where it, do, it doesn't mean a whole lot. So, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I and I push against there. There's always this sentiment whenever there's major change to say this is the end. This is the ruin of it all. This is the end of college athletics as we know it. Correct. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't change. Isn't a bad thing inherently. I know it's new. I know that that you get comfortable and understand things. But when change happens, it it's not a bad thing. In fact, all the best things happen from change. So this might be a, a blossoming new era. This could mean that college athletics is better than it ever could be. It's just going to have to change. There's going to be growing pains, as I mentioned yesterday with the NIL. Yeah. As I mentioned with all these things. I don't know. Spear put in the chat, this means they can now unionize. Correct. Correct. So yeah, that's what it, it's going to go. They're going to they're going to um, have a vote on the Dartmouth basketball team. They have to have a majority vote. There's 16 players on the roster, so they've just got to go over the eight threshold. And I think it's literally 50 percent or better. So as long as eight of the 16 guys vote yes to unionize, then yeah, they'll do that. And I anticipate that they will unionize. I mean, wouldn't that be a just a dud? Wouldn't that just? I mean, they all this all this uh, <laughs> all this news that they have this unprecedented ruling by the National Labor Relations Board, and then they go like, all right, it's time to vote for unionization. And like nine guys just like, yeah, I don't want to unionize. What are we talking about? I don't want to do that. And they're just like, Anticlimactic is what it would be. Right. Yeah, it is wild. It's wild. If I'm going to give my stance, I don't think that – I don't think players should be employees of the university. I think that that is a line that I would say shouldn't be crossed. Um, the Ivy League. So you're cool with where the NIL is. To where, I'm cool with what the NIL. To does, where, correct. if people want to pay these these athletes for uh, their name, their image, and their likeness, that that should that should 100% be a thing. Correct. And this goes to my to my stance on college as a whole, which and I say this with love and I say this with respect. Unless you're going to become a, a doctor, a, a, a engineer, something with advanced degrees. I would say college, for the most part, you don't need to to, to go to one. I, I, I that's my firm stance. I if if my if my if my dream if my uh, profession my career works out the way I wanted to, I will not have gone to, or I my college degree will not be used. That's just a fact. Now I I will say this. I when you, when you think about going to college, part of it is playing sports for the university, right? So maybe you are maybe you are an employee in a sense, but. I, I think there is a line to be crossed when you're getting paid by the university while also paying them to go to school. I think I, I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's, it loses school spirit. Um, it, it loses a lot. Uh, but nonetheless, I do think they should be paid just by outside parties by the uh, NIL. Yeah, and Kirby brings up a thing that we all know. NIL is just a way where schools can pay their players through 
boosters and, and which is what know, they've been doing forever right which is it's, now out it's, in the open. it's just yeah now you can see now you know how much people make now now all that stuff and i'm with you there is a sense of as i just did my whole bit on change isn't bad there is a sense of comfort knowing that like the ncaa they're amateurs right correct that's part of, that's part of the appeal yep that's part of it like these kids go to class and, and they still will do that Maybe not all the students. But I would say none of them. <laughs> they still will. If you become employees of the university, why would you go to school? I don't. I, then that's that's the part where I just don't understand it. What do you mean? Like, because because the whole purpose of college because you're still getting your degree. Sure. And not every and not everyone's planning on going pro in basketball. I understand that. I understand that perfectly. I would, I would argue that all those Dartmouth players aren't probably going to go pro. I would say that's 100% accurate. But I, I, I have a hard time believing that you're getting paid by the university while going there uh, as a student. It doesn't make sense. It, doesn't, it just doesn't correlate with me. And I guess you, you could argue that kids do get paid by the university while they work there. They work in the uh, concession thing. They work in the student union. Yeah. They work in the library. I just think this is a little bit different. I think, I think when you're on a pedestal like – uh, the college basketball team would be. It seems strange that that almost a, a professor and a uh, college basketball player are equals, while also the kids are still going to go to school because they're they're, gonna, they're, I'm they're, not they're, saying they're, they're not getting, going. To. I'm just saying it's degree. strange. I'm just saying the whole thing. Did is you strange. have a learn and earn? Did, did you have an on-campus job when you were at UC or Toledo? I did not. Well, you, you worked for ESPN three. Did you get paid for that? I did not. That uh, was it. Was it was called an internship? Oh, that's I tough. Feel, I flipped burgers. Did you? There was at Bluffton. We had the one cafeteria. Yeah. And then we had this little snack shop, and I worked the snack shop two hours a day, Monday through Thursday, eight hours a week. It's called Bob's Place. Flip burgers. I, I had a secret menu item. What was that? It was called the mouse melt. Yeah. Ooh. I would I would literally just make a, a cheeseburger melt. I would just put a cheeseburger on a grilled did the, cheese. Did the restaurant approve of this? Did they? Uh... They put it on the menu. Did they? Yeah. They called it a mouse melt. But... Oh. So it wasn't a so secret wasn't menu a... item then? Well, it was or... for at the beginning. People were like, hey, can I get a cheeseburger, but can you make it a mouse melt? Mm. I'm like, yeah, of course. Make the grilled cheese, make the burger. I was I was with it. I enjoyed it. That was, that was a fun time, yeah. flipping burgers. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy flipping burgers. I also want to try a mouse melt. It sounds delicious. Just just put a cheeseburger in a grilled cheese. It's not... I wish I could have the Frisco sauce from Steak and Shake. Yeah. Have you ever had a Frisco melt? No. What? No. Frisco melts are goaded. Frisco melts are goaded. Uh, other news yesterday. Uh, Josh Harrison, if we can, if, if, you, if this is where you want to go, is this where we want to go here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Josh Harrison, uh, former Pirate, Cincinnati hometown kid, has been signed by the Reds on a minor league deal. Uh, I believe if he makes the major league team or if he makes the 40-man, I forget all the, the details of his contract, you'll get like a million and a half. Um, but this is good. This is a cool story. I, I, I think growing up, obviously, you know Josh Harrison because he's played in your division for so long. I don't know how long he played for the Pirates, eight years maybe, seven years, something like that. Um, but now he's home. He's, he's a Cincinnati Red, maybe, asterisk, because he's in Louisville. But if he makes the team, I, I predict, and I guess Reed and I were talking about this a little bit before the show, it's going to be a problem if Josh Harrison sees a lot of playing time, but we are happy that he's here. God knows this major league club needs depth. I think we used a record number, or uh, I think not a record, because that record was set the year prior, uh, but us, uh, I think the second most amount of players in, in franchise history last year was 70. 71 different players to come up and play uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. So Josh Harrison has had a phenomenal career, and it's, and it's good that he's in Cincinnati. I think he can be added depth when somebody goes down. He's more than serviceable at the plate. He's a decent defender. I like Josh Harrison. Can we agree 
that if Josh Harrison, like I, I know this is something that Reds fans have wanted for forever. He's he's went to Princeton High School, went to the University of Cincinnati, was an All Star for the Pirates when they were making their runs towards the top of the NL Central. But, but at this age, with already a crowded infield, if Josh Harrison is seeing significant time for the Cincinnati Reds, that's not good. We got a problem. Yeah, that's he's, not good. He's 36 years old. He hasn't really contributed over the past four years whatsoever. Well, he was traded um, in 2021 um, to the Athletics when they were making a push. Tw- yeah, 2021, he was good. I would say outside of that, he hasn't been great since. Um, not for the White Sox, not for four, the Phillies in 40 games last year. But I think he's a serviceable player. I think he's a name that uh, people would come to see if he's ever brought up, similar to Corky Miller. I think there's there's some nostalgia there. Uh, I think it's a good signing. I think it's a fair signing. You're paying somebody barely any money to, to contribute, maybe be a leader down the line, uh, either for in, in AAA or hopefully when he comes up to uh, play a game or two with the Reds. Again, I don't think he'll be, obviously, a serious help uh, on the Cincinnati Reds, but I think every once in a while you'll probably see him in five games. I, if, you, if you had to give me an over-under, uh, which I guess we'll play that game in a little bit, the over/under on Josh Harrison games this year, I would say five and a half. I'd take the under. But he—he he, he is a. I don't know how many positions he plays, but in his prime, he was versatile, right? He played last year. He played um, third, second, little left. So he's still playing multiple positions yeah. out there. So he does bring that to your team. But yeah, he hasn't been a very good hitter for a couple of years now. Um, still there, the 2019s to 2021. He was—he was, he was a, a pretty fine hitter, but hasn't done it over the last few years. Is there any chance that he makes the opening day roster? Zero. Any chance at all? Zero point zero 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 zero. There's no chance. But I, I, and again, this—that's no knock on him. That's just we're already loaded. Unless there's some serious injuries that happen during spring training, which God forbid that happens, uh, there is there is absolutely no chance he makes the opening day roster. Is this about seven years too late on wanting Josh Harrison to come home? A lot of people are saying. A lot of people are saying. Well, after his prime at age 36. Uh, maybe not the best time to sign Josh Harrison, bring him home. But uh, maybe we'll give him a farewell tour. Where does he rank as a Reds fan of inner division players that you rooted for? Because, I mean, I think most Reds – I mean, he was he was an all-star for the Pirates, like I said, when they – yeah, back when they won 99 games in 2015, even when he played for the Pirates when they beat the Reds in the wild card round. Um, so there, there is some bad blood there. But he's a Cincinnati guy. Where does he rank for you as a Reds fan and players that you rooted for in the division? I mean, he almost certainly has to be number one. I'm trying to think of another guy. A Brent Suter was a guy that a lot of people, because he was a hometown guy. Yeah, but I I always knew Josh Harrison. Like, I I was always aware. Brent Suter, I haven't haven't been aware of him until recently. But I guess guess that's that's fair. Um, Any other hometown? Ian Happ, I guess. I don't hate Ian Happ. You, you like Ian Happ? Well, he's a, he's a Bearcat. Where does I, Anthony Rizzo sit up there? Anthony Rizzo is not one of them. But Ian Happ, I, I never rooted against Ian Happ. Ian Happ always crushed us. He always plays great uh, in Cincinnati. And, and maybe that's because he was a Bearcat. So I don't know. I, I think Josh Harrison's probably number one, if I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm still trying to think. Um, I, I, I Yeah, I think, that's, I think he's number you one. You didn't root for any, like, uh, when I was a kid – even though he owned the Chicago Cubs, it was hard to root against a guy like Albert Pujols. Yeah. Because he was just so spectacular. 
where does like like do do the all time greats? I don't know. Like, uh, are there any greats in the division that that you were you're a, you like Yachty? I like Yachty. I, I a lot of people will will look at Yachty. I hate Yachty. I it's it's one of those things where they'll look at that brawl between Brandon Phillips and Yachty, and everybody in Cincinnati just hates Yachty. Yachty is one of the greatest players uh, of all time. One of the greatest catchers of all time. Uh, you don't think so? I I you don't think he's one of the great catchers of all time. I don't. I don't know how I think. I. I. I flip flop. I waffle on Yachty being a Hall of Famer because I think he's a Hall. Of Famer. I don't think the stats are there. I don't think any of that. But like when you think of the catching position, when you think of the catching position, Yachty is one of the first names that come up in your mind. Like in all in all sincerity, like he was a spectacular player for for the position that he played. He was the anchor of a team. Also, he just cheated that one time and like got away with it. What did he do? He blocked a ball, and he would – so there's a thing you could do where you put pine tar on your chest protector. That's right. That's right. That's to right. help it, like, when you block a ball, it doesn't bounce away and the, and the runners can advance. It would, it would help soften the blow and keep the ball around you. And that was illegal because you're then putting substance on the ball, right? If it hits your chest protector, there's an air pine tar. Pitcher, pitcher can use that to their advantage. And there was one time where Yachty goes down to block a ball, and the ball just sticks to his chest protector. I, I do remember that. And they didn't make him change chest protectors. They didn't. They didn't scrub off the ball. They just went on the game. And I was like, "That is illegal. That is literally illegal. You can't do that." That's wild. I. But listen, I. I think if you look down at some of the great greatest catchers ever, Yachty will be on that list. I think Yachty's a Hall of Famer. Uh, certainly, if Joe Mauer is a Hall of Famer, I think Yachty is is not. Uh, obviously, he didn't have a career like Joe Mauer had. He wasn't as influential to his time, but I think Yachty's damn good. I think I, if Joe Maurer got in first ballot, I think Yachty will be a Hall of Famer one day. It will be it will be interesting because, like I said, like the the numbers aren't there. Like yeah. they're they're not even close. Like he was never like Joe Maurer was the arguably the best, the second best hitter in the American League for like a six year stretch behind probably like A Rod, um, but Joe Maurer was. An all-star hitter for like three of the four, three years, like one an MVP, one an MVP. So it's like, yeah, you're talking about Joe, Joe Maurer. Maurer. Yeah, Yachty, Yachty wasn't close. Yachty, Yachty was never that hitter. But defensively, he, defensively, he was he's spectacular, and, and he played the position for 20 years, which is saying something. But it will be interesting. I flip like if Yachty gets into the Hall of Fame, I won't be mad. There's pl- there's people no. out there that will be mad. And if he's not in, I won't be mad either. Like, I, I don't care either way, I guess is essentially what I'm saying. Another name that people rooted for in this town. It wasn't in the division, but Kevin Euclid was a guy that, that people sure. liked because he was a Cincinnati guy. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's a good one. I think uh, another one was, I, I, for a long time, I, at least I did, because he's a former, any former Red I'm going to root for as well. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, uh, I, I loved him. Do you think that the Reds won that trade? I'm almost certain they didn't, right? I think they won. I, I, I think it. I think it benefited both teams. Who I, do? Do we have the details of that trade? It was Edwin for Scott Rowland, essentially. Yeah, I guess. I guess you won the trade. I, guess I don't know won. if. I don't know if either. Like, there doesn't always have to be a winner. Yeah, like, both I, both teams can benefit. Like I've always argued that the that the the Volquez for Josh Hamilton trade was a good trade. Worked like, out. Like Josh Hamilton was like after Joe Maurer, he, he was right there on an MVP. He was he was amazing for about a five year stretch. Josh Hamilton was maybe the best player in baseball for like a year, two years. So, Pulis was probably still better. A Rod. He won an MVP, right? Hamilton. Yeah. So I, there, I remember the stretch where Josh Hamilton uh, hit was it five home runs in a game or four home runs in a game, uh, and he hit a home run and I, I don't know how many consecutive games, but God, it was fun. 
when when he was when he was when he, when he was in his prime, that was elite. You remember so when they were making? A, I mean, speak. I mean, not, not to Josh Hamilton's obviously had personal issues. Remember when they were making a movie talking about his personal issues, and then like, right, like when they started, they were making like a Disney movie, talking about you know his his drug use and, and getting back to the to the pros because he got drafted first overall, I believe, yeah. in 2000 or 1999, right around the same time Joe Maurer was. Didn't play for seven years, was Rule 5 drafted by the Cubs. We traded him over to the, the Reds, and then he became one of the best players in the league for about a six-year stretch. And they were making a movie about him. And while they were making a movie about him, he relapsed. Damn. And I think they just threw the movie away. They, I don't, they, they I don't remember, like, I don't remember that at all, actually. Yeah. But, that, but that's interesting. Uh, other baseball news read... Bobby Witt. Yeah. Bobby Witt signed a long extension, 11 years. Uh, 288. $288 million. He, now, he, the, the opt-outs are weird. I think he's got an opt-out after years 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 maybe. And then the club has an option at some point during that. But it's a big-time contract for a player uh, in, a, in, a, in a small market city. So it's good for Bobby Witt. It's good for Bobby Witt. Yeah. I, good. I was going to say, like, what does this mean for the Cincinnati Reds? I don't know if it means, I don't know if it means uh, a ton in terms of, you know, putting pressure. Are you talking about putting pressure on guys or putting pressure on the organization to make a move like that? If, if Bobby Witt signs an extension after two all-star years, he's, 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 bought, he's 23 years old. He looks like he's going to have an absolutely amazing career based off the two years that we've seen. If he's signing a deal for larger than any contract the Reds have ever given out, $288 million, that's more than Joey Votto's contract. Granted, Joey Votto was signed a decade ago. Is that just the going rate for an MVP talent, a perennial all-star talent? Like, we've talked about, do the Reds need to do what the Braves have done with their young talent and, and sign these guys to... Um, risky extensions early in their career. It hasn't always worked out like the Phillies with Scott Kingery. That, that was an abomination of a contract. But for the Braves, it almost almost every single one of their big contracts has worked out. Ozzie Alsby's, uh, Ronald Acuna. Um, they did have to sign Austin Riley to a $250 million deal, I believe. Um, essentially, like, do, do the, can, can the Reds gamble on letting these guys play a couple years? Can they gamble? Like, what happens you're if, gonna, you're gonna, if Ellie De La Cruz is a top three MVP vote getter this year? You're going to have to gamble on some of them. You can't pay everybody. But I do think you should. The Hunter Green contract, whether or not you have trust in Hunter Green, whether or not you think he's a he's a number one bona fide starting pitcher, um, maybe you think he's going to be a closer one day, whatever opinion you have on Hunter Green, that contract was a brilliant deal. A brilliant deal. You load it up with incentives. Uh, if he pitches great, He's going to make a lot of money. Right. But in turn, your franchise is going to be better off for it. That's a contract. You get him young. You get him cheap. Uh, and that's how you do it. Bobby Witt, I think, I don't, you're going to see at least one red get a deal like that. If I had to guess who it's going to be, it's going to be Ellie De La Cruz. But like, so like it's got to happen now is what, is what I'm getting at. Because all it takes is one, one spectacular year from Ellie. Like Ellie De La Cruz, like I said, top three in MVP vote getting. He steals 60 bases. He hits 35, 40 home runs and plays great, plays great with the glove. All of a sudden, that, that extension, which you could probably get him. I don't know what the going rate for Ellie De La Cruz is right now, but it isn't $300 million. No. And if he has an MVP-caliber MVP caliber season, 
that extension all of a sudden balloons up to the 250, 300 million range to where is that too much for the Reds? Or do the Reds have to change to the current price tag of elite players? I think it is too much for the Reds. Uh, I, I don't think they want to give anybody over $280 million. Um, but that is the way the MLB works. I think they will. I, I do think they will give Ellie De La Cruz a contract similar to that. I think it's going to be a 10-year mega deal uh, with, with all the finances. But you're saying, again, if the only way they do that is if you wait. I would start paying these guys early now, and I think that's the next question would be, who do you pay next? Uh, or who are your top priorities to sign uh, in the coming years, or at least maybe in this offseason, this upcoming offseason? And, and my answer would be uh, Ellie De La Cruz. I would love Noel V. Marte. I would love Matt McClain. Uh, those are my top three. But outside of that, I don't think Graham Ashcraft long-term will be a Cincinnati Red. I love Graham. Um, but any contract like the Bobby Witt thing, you're not going to see, I would bet. I, not not re, not anytime soon, which means they're going to wait for Ellie. They're going to wait for him to prove it this year, which he will. He'll play lights out, and they'll sign him. They might sign him during the middle of the season, too. You never know. That's what they did for Hunter Green. They extended him um, a month into the season, I think it was, just a, just a random day. I forget which team it was that we were playing that when, they, when they made that deal, maybe the Rays or the Rangers. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I don't think this means a whole lot for the Reds. Uh, eventually, you're gonna have to spend money. This isn't this isn't some sort of new phenomenon. Teams pay teams pay players a lot of money now in, in Major League Baseball. So, the Reds are, the Reds are a little uh, immune to that. They've paid what one player, one super deal that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. This would be the next one. Ellie De La Cruz would be the next. King Griffey Jr.'s deal was was very big for the for the time. Hundred million dollar contract was. Uh, I believe it set the record at the time. I might be wrong on that one. But I don't know. Like, I asked the question, does this outprice the Reds on these on these huge contracts to these, you know, perennial stars? And that's why I asked the question, like, do they have to get it done before players ex explode? And, and there's risk involved in that. Like, if you sign a Matt McClain and Ellie De La Cruz to, once again, I'm not a contract expert. Nick Kirby would be the guy. That, that would talk about this, and, and you know, he, he's doing nothing up in Cleveland. You know, he isn't helping yeah. this company at all. So, uh, I'm just kidding, Kirby. You're doing great. Um, but, I, so I speculate on these contracts. Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, can you get them now for seven years, eight years, $100 million, $125 million? Get them both under that, and there's risk involved. What, what if Ellie doesn't, doesn't come into what Reds, fan, Reds fans think he's going to yeah. be? What if he doesn't look like the number one prospect in Major League Baseball and doesn't explode? Yeah, there's some risk involved there, but there's also risk involved in doing nothing, waiting for these guys to prove it, because then their price tag goes up to the $250, $300 million range. You have to gamble. You're going to have to gamble eventually. Um, and Nick Kirby just chimed in. Most of the Reds' contract extensions came late in the offseason. Green, Votto, Phillips, Bailey. Um I think what, what's going to have to happen is you are going to make a couple gambles, I would guess, on, on either Ellie or Matt McClain soon, and I mean very, very soon, um, and we'll see where we go from there. I don't think the Reds are going to be spending $288 million on a single player uh, anytime soon. That, that, that's at least my opinion. So, so if that's the going rate. If, they, if you think that and these players explode to be, you know, 
perennial all-star. Like sure. It, and, and that's that's the price tag that comes along with an MVP candidate if Ellie Daly Cruz turns into that. What then you'd say, if that's if that's out of the Reds' price range, then they're just going to rock with the six years, the five years they have remaining um, under control, right? Three years on the rookie deal, then arbitration, and then they're going to cut ties after the that. The Reds wouldn't let Ellie walk, I don't think. Okay. Out of all the players to not let walk, he's the one to do it. I don't think it's out of their price range to make one deal like that. They've got one deal like that in them. They've got one. And outside of that, I don't know what the hell happens to the rest of the guys, but... Ellie De La Cruz, whoever maybe has the better year this year, uh, is probably going to get that $280 plus million plus 10-year deal with incentives and, and opt-outs. Um, but I don't think you have to be able to spend that. You have to. You have to be I able agree. to spend money like that you in the MLB. If you're going to be a billionaire or, or in uh, Castellini's case, a hundred millionaire, and you own a team, you got to be willing to do what it takes to win. And that's the part where I think a lot of there's a lot of fans in this city that talk about the 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 pocket of the Castellinis. Like, well, we if we're smart about it, we don't have to, right? But in a larger sense, you do. You do have to eventually spend that big contract. You have to you have to spend that kind of big contract money on one of your players. I don't know when it'll happen, but you have to be able to do it. Otherwise, there's no point of you owning an MLB team. It doesn't, or, or a sports franchise in general. If you're unwilling to compete, then sell the team, take your $1.2 billion or whatever our franchise is worth now, go, go live on a beach somewhere, get out of here. Because if you're not willing to compete, I don't know what we're doing. And that's, and that's what infuriates me the most about the, this current ownership group. I, I, I've, I've always believed it, and, I've, and I will continue to believe it until I see them uh, have success in the postseason. I think they've been a failure. I think they've been a failure in Cincinnati. I think they've been a failure to this organization. And, and, and we'll see what happens going forward. But you're seeing a, a, a team, a roster filled with young superstars. Eventually, you're going to have to pay some of these guys. You're going to have to act like the Astros. You're going to have to act like the Braves. Get them early. Sign them early. Make some risks. Do it now. That way you, don't, that way you have an excuse to not pay them $300 million right. next season, two seasons from now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the the case. Kirby was throwing in some some guys that he thinks are most likely to get extended. He said uh, Marte is one that you I should would extend. love Noel Marte to be. Extended. Um, he said Connor Phillips, sneaky good extension candidate. These guys are absolutely unproven, so you, these guys are even cheaper, right? Like these yeah. guys you can get for like a fifty million dollar deal, and uh, you know seven eight years fifty million dollars, and you can still make out if they if they turn out to be. Um, as good of candidates or as good of prospects as they appear to be. Who, out of all the young guys, that could get an extension? So obviously not the Stuart Fairchilds of the world. Damn. Out of, Stuart... all, out of all the guys that could get an extension, who would upset you the most? Like if it comes out that it's not Ellie, it's not McClain. Oh, that's a good question. It's not CES, it's Graham Ashcraft that gets a seven-year deal. Who would upset you the most? I wouldn't understand Connor Phillips, if I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. That's one where if you extend Con – I mean, Connor Phillips – we saw him barely last year. Uh, his most notable start was when he couldn't get it out uh, against the was it the Cardinals or the Diamondbacks? Uh, Diamondbacks, I think, um, in a must-win game. So, no, I, 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 he's one I don't understand why you would sign, unless it's for such little money that I, I guess I could maybe understand it if it was for – I mean, I'm talking $30 million, $40 million. Um, Outside of that, 
A Spencer steer extension wouldn't make a ton of sense to me either. Thank you. That was the name that I was, I was, I, I put the fish on the line, put the night crawler on the hook, put it in the water. That's who I was trying to get out. I think Spencer, I think Spencer Steer's a damn good player, but Spencer Steer's production can be found elsewhere. I like, I want Spencer Steer as a red. He's going to help the Reds win. Spencer games. Steer is a major league hitter and a damn good one at that. Yeah. I, I don't, I, you, you always get mad at me when I say this. I don't see Spencer Steer exploding like I can see the other guys on the team exploding. I don't think I can replicate what Ellie De La Cruz is. I don't think I can right. find guys that can give me that. When when they're when when in the Moneyball movie in the Moneyball movie the when, they're try, when they're trying to replace uh, Johnny Damon and uh, who's the other one um, Johnny it's Johnny Damon Jason Ingrainhauser and Jason Giambi and Giambi when they're trying to replace them like who can replace these who can replace these guys they're going through all the numbers you can't replace what Ellie De La Cruz can bring to this club you can't do it I think Noel V Marte's in that I think Matt McLean's in that little group I think Hunter Green's in that group. He's, Hunter Green throws more 100-mile-per-hour pitches than anybody else in Major League Baseball. I think you can replace – I think you can find somebody that gives me Spencer Steer value. I think you can find somebody. So right. Spencer Steer – a Spencer Steer extension doesn't make sense to me. Damn good hitter. Damn good hitter. Damn good hitter. I could see CES hitting 40 home runs. I could see Ellie De La Cruz hitting 35 home runs and stealing 70 bases. I could see Matt McClain being the best shortstop in Major League Baseball. Or best, one of the best middle infielders in Major League Baseball. I can't see Spencer Steer truly being a 12-year veteran hitting 30 home runs a year. I can't see it. I can't do it. I can't see it. I think, I think he'll have a phenomenal career. I think he's got the highest floor. Maybe not the highest floor, but he certainly with with some of these guys. Fair. I think highest floor is fair. Like I, I, I can definitely see like Spencer Steer will play in this league. I think for a decade. I can see some other guys fizzle out pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, and by the way, Molly says, tell me what Ellie De La Cruz has truly done for the Reds. God, he is overhyped right now. I, if there's anybody to get hyped on, though, it's Ellie De La Cruz. I, I, it's because, I, like you said, he does stuff that no one else can do. It's, and again, people don't like to bring up the intangible, intangibles. When you, when you talk about leadership, right, Jonathan India, we got Trace, we got everybody else in this room laughing it off. Ellie De La Cruz, when he's on the base path, when he's at the plate, He's giving the fan base something that can't be explained. And I think that's the difference here. He makes me excited to watch the Reds. That's why people are hyped about Ellie De La Cruz. And I know he didn't have the world's best season, but he, was, he, he played baseball for, what, a couple months for the Reds? He's young. He's a 21-year-old he's a kid. you got to give him some rope. I, I think just the excitement he brings to the city. The, the fan base was dying, was dying in, in hoping that, somebody, something would give them a reason to come back to the ballpark. Um, because I think we've all, for the most part, have been pretty frustrated with ownership. I think when, when Phil Castellini says something outrageous year after year after year, last year it was half the teams are eliminated before opening day, uh, and that including he was alluding to his own team, the Reds. I think that's nonsensical, and it, it makes people upset. So when we see a guy young, not making a ton of money, doing it just for because he's good at it, and that's what Ellie De La Cruz brings to this city. That's why he's hyped. That's why everybody loves him. Not to mention the pure, raw talent that that guy has. He could be the best player in Major League Baseball. You give him a couple years. When you've got a, a guy that kids get excited about, you've got, you've got someone. Yeah. To, like, when you go to Little League fields, when you go to youth baseball games, and kids are wearing 44. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what's this about? 
oh, Ellie De La Cruz. These kids want to be like Ellie De La Cruz. That's why people are excited about him because he really does add a vault to uh, Great American Ballpark that I have. I truly haven't seen. I haven't as seen a Reds my, player in my life. I, I haven't. Like, I, ha- I haven't seen it in my lifetime. I know you can. You can. You can look at the 2012 team, the 2013 team, the 2010 team, and you can say they, these were great rosters. Sure, they absolutely were. And, and Brandon Phillips, I'd argue, maybe is the closest guy to give me that feeling. He make Brandon Phillips made me excited to watch the Reds. Uh, whatever right. play he made at second base, it was with swagger. It was was it was fun. Ellie right. De La Cruz gives me that fun. But not only is he better than Brandon Phillips, he's 20 times the player Brandon Phillips can be defensively, potentially, and offensively, and on the base path. I, I, I'm excited for Reds baseball again, and that's because of Ellie De La Cruz. That's why people are hyped on him. That's why people love him. I think, and again, I'm not a big John Sadak fan. I think he, he's done a great job with the Reds up until this point. But I think the fun, you can hear it in Sadak's voice when he's, when he's calling games. Maybe not so much Barry Larkin's voice, but in, in Sadak's voice, you can hear the excitement when he's hitting for a cycle, when Will Benson's hitting a home run. It's bringing the excitement back into the booth. When I hear Tommy Thrall and the Cowboy, I was a producer for 700 WLW for the first, first part of that season, and I'm not going to tell you all what I said to him during, in between innings, but I'll tell you this, it, it, wasn't, it was an exciting conversation about the Reds. We were like, oh, I can't wait to see what Stuart Fairchild's doing today. I can't wait to see how Luis Sessa just threw two innings, got shelled for eight runs. That's what we were talking about in the beginning of the season. There was no excitement. There was no energy whatsoever. Ellie De La Cruz and this young core has brought that back into Cincinnati in all, in all facets. Every, every part of this organization has been reju- rejuvenated because of Ellie De La Cruz. And you can say Matt McClain maybe started the ball. Maybe he started it rolling. But Ellie De La Cruz absolutely brought everybody back in this city for a red to be a, to being a Reds fan. I love the Stuart Fairchild strays that we're. we're I, love Stu- I, love Str- I love I love I love I love strings Stuart Fairchild too. <laughs> I don't listen, Stuart. If you're listening to this, I love you. But Stewie, again, I wish you weren't on the team. We love you, Stuart. I I went and watched my cousin or my not my cousin, my nephew. Apologize, my brother's uh, oldest child. Play baseball, really good baseball player. Play shortstop, and he plays in Wichita. That's where he lives. And uh, I went and watched him play, and he's wearing 44. And I got pumped. I got so excited. Because that's not a number 11-year-old kids wear, yeah. 44. I mean, you, you keep it under 20 for the most part. You, 20's, 20, maybe 25. But no one's wearing 44. And I got so excited. I'm like, guys, I'm breaking through on my nephews. I've got them Cubs fans. He's wearing Anthony Rizzo's number. And I go up to him. I'm like, hey, man, I love your number. Go Rizzo or something like that. And he's like, this is for Ellie De La Cruz. <laughs> I was like, God, I lost. I lost. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So good for good for Ellie, man. And that's why we're excited. I know Tom goes on his uh, – he, he talks about how Ellie shouldn't be crowned as the world's greatest player. But I think there is a testament to – just – and again, I don't want to compare it to Joe Burrow. But I do think there are some similarities where when Joe Burrow was drafted, gives you belief, could, gives, you could, gives hope. You could change the energy, the vibes around that franchise. No, no. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to speak for you and Casey, but for me as a Reds fan, that's what Ellie did for me. Yeah, ever on this show, a lot of times um, between Tom, between Trace, 
I have to I have to pick up a sword and a shield defending Joe Burrow at yeah. times. And everyone wants to know, even even Sean, even you know some people that like uh, Sean's not a Bengals fan. Trace isn't a Bengals fan. People that live in this area they get annoyed by Bengals fan. I understand that it's as a Cubs fan in a Reds town. I understand that it's annoying sometimes. Like the Ellie De La Cruz hype annoyed me because I'm like, come on guys, he's not that great. Even though he does some spectacular things, and I get that the Joe Burrow hype offends people, but I always tell people like, what was I supposed to do as a Bengals fan? Yeah. When hyping up Joe Burrow, we're seeing this guy come off the greatest year in college football history. He gets drafted to our team. And in his first full year, takes us to the Super Bowl. How are we supposed to not fall in love with this guy and defend him tooth and nail? Right? Like, how are we not supposed to do that? I don't I, I don't comprehend. Like, it, it just seems like, I don't know. I The Joe Burrow rant is over. But this, I, I, We need to get a Joe Burrow stray in. We need one Bengals stray in here. I don't know how we're going to do it throughout the course of the show, but we need uh, to find one. The defense one. carried the Bengals in those two playoff runs. Well, it was actually Evan McPherson. Oh, that's right. Evan McPherson, Evan McPherson and, the, and the defense carried the Bengals through those two playoff runs. But. Now now we've done it. Uh, Casey, when you look at your Bengals fandom, and you've been a Bengals fan for quite some time. And that's also, right. Casey, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, doing Casey, okay. what's your favorite Toby Keith song? Yeah, to, what's your favorite Toby Keith song, Casey? Uh, Red Solo Cup. It's a bad, it's a bad choice, but I, I respect it because uh, we're, we're we're honoring the great Toby Keith today. Uh, when you look at your Bengals fandom, the energy that was brought, the vibes that were changed when Joe Burrow was drafted, uh, would you say they're similar to what we're seeing with Ellie De La Cruz and the Reds? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's not even a. I don't even think that's up for debate. That that's the type of energy that's brought to the city, at least when it comes to the Reds. Now, are they the same player? I don't know if they're going to end up being the same type of player. Um, what I mean, it's hard to completely change a franchise around in terms of baseball with one guy. I don't know if Ellie De La Cruz will be looked at as the one guy that completely turned around this franchise. Joe Burrow, on the other hand, I mean, he, he almost single-handedly did that. I know there was a lot of guys like Jamar Chase, but, I mean, the hype was there even his rookie season when he got hurt. Uh, I think when it all comes down to it, this year is going to be huge for Ellie. If he can have a great bounce back year, I mean, he finished the year last year pretty pretty poorly. I think we all can agree with that. If he bounces back and plays like he did when he first entered in the league, it's going to be a special year for Reds fans, a very special year. And I can't wait for it, to be honest. Last year, when the Reds started their season, I went to like, in the first two months, I went to like 10 Reds games. People were just very, very hyped about the rookies, about the potential of those guys coming up. And then we had the the runs in June, I believe. I think yep. that's when we had those big mm -hmm. runs. I went to a couple of games then, too. I mean, it's just, you can feel the excitement. And uh, I'm very excited for Reds fans. And, and I'm a Reds fan, too, so I, I'm excited as well. I'm very excited for this season. Good for, good, for the, good for the Reds. We're bringing fans like Casey back to the ball yard. Uh, hopefully people will show up during weeknights this year. We'll see what happens there. They need to, they need to push it back. Have, have, yeah, make there it was seven. rumors about it being pushed back. Have they pushed it back? Uh, 640 is an abomination. I think they, they pushed back the daytime games, I think. I don't know if they pushed back the nighttime games. Uh, 640 sucks. 640, 640 sucks, not for us as fans, but for Spencer Steer in left field, who has to fight the brutal sun. I think that's honestly the worst part of it. Uh, where, I, where are the CZ tickets at, by the way? 
The season tickets? Yeah, the, bank, the, the Chatterbox season tickets. They're on, I think they're on the right. So if you're at home plate, it's uh, up to the right, I think. Top? Top. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't know. I don't know what section. It's, but. It, it brings, it makes me happy, even though I am a Reds hater, that there's going to be some Chatterbox folk at every single Reds game. Yeah. That's, that's neat. That is neat. That is neat. That Casey, you want to do some ads? Let's do some ads. Yeah, I can do some ads for you guys. Uh, the... Maybe we're going to talk about Bearcats after this. I don't yes, know we, that's, yeah. that's what we got so for the, the, the second hour. Bearcats report is going to be brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world. With a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and... Productivity. Productivity. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Ellie. Productivity. The path to innovation begins here. Visit Encore.tech. And now let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water, Pawnee Water. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at Productivity. Water. Com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF, swish it down with some Pawnee water, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. Also, some other programming notes. We will be having box lunch after this show. Yep, we're doing a lot of Quiplash, but yes. We're doing what? Quiplash. We're Quiplash. Doing, we're doing Quiplash today. Quiplash yes. Tuesday. Quiplash Tuesday. Okay, we're doing Quiplash Tuesday today, and we're also doing our gaming stream as well. Uh, I don't know what time that gaming stream will be because we're doing box lunch. And we have to set that up. So uh, just be on the lookout for that, members. And if you want to be a member, you can uh, become a member for $10. And you get access to all those live streams. Uh, it helps us out, supports us greatly. And for those of you that can't do that and want to support us, hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, share it with a friend. Share the show. Uh, helps us grow, helps us get into that algorithm, which we're desperately trying to grow in. So thank you for, for watching, and uh, I'm going to throw it over to Reed for any yeah, other so programming Yeah, so here, here's the thing is we, we talked about Box Lunch. We're going to play Quiplash today because we have we have to do this whole two-hour show. We don't have three hours of content uh, <laughs> geared up for us. So we're just going to play some Quiplash with the members. If you guys haven't seen it, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's maybe the most fun thing we do um, the entire week. So if you want to join along and play a game with us, it, it's kind of like, uh, if you don't know what Quiplash is, it's kind of like uh, Apples to Apples, Cards Against Humanity. There's a prompt. People put in their uh, their uh, answers, and then you vote for them. The, the, everyone watching votes for them. Lindsay's mom loves this game. Yeah, loves Michelle, Michelle Davis absolutely loves this game. Um, I say some things that I wouldn't be proud if my dad heard yeah. on the show because uh, – it gets uh, HBO style. So it's HBO style. Um, we also have the the tennis match. So was played yesterday. So we've got to put that together. No and, spoilers. Uh, that'll though. be for members. I know people at the beginning of the show were making fun of my my tennis technique. I have never ever picked up a racket in my life. Um, I did not play in the tennis match. I know the video shows me afterwards wearing jeans and in my socks and and doing all that stuff. Thought I'd hit it around a little bit. The one thing that I that I will admit that I did not know about tennis is I tried to keep every, every time I hit it, I kind of short armed it Yeah. because it, it, I kept it. I wanted to keep the ball where I like to keep it in baseball, right? Like keep it yeah. right here, which you have more arm to work with. Mm -hmm. You can, you can reach out a little further. So I try to keep it in here 
And that was a, that was a learning curve. I think I hit like 10, 10 balls, and I don't think I hit a single ball in play. Yeah, well, I, you tried your best, and that's Thanks. the most important Thanks. part. Tennis isn't about – It wasn't uh, about hitting the ball on oh, there, over the net, over the net, and in the lines. Yeah, it was more about the friends that we made, we made along the way. That's right. The match was fun. I, I, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you this: the match was very fun. Uh, it was a best of three. It was a best of three uh, setter. If you, if you, if you watch tennis, you understand what I mean. If you don't, I can't really help you out. But um, Trace has uh, allegedly, allegedly never played tennis before. Uh, there's a lot of rumors swirling, and I pre- and I pretty much knew it right away that it wasn't the very first time he's ever played. But there's rumors that he might have had some uh, some practice or uh, some some tutoring before this big match, and it looked like it. He was damn good. Trace was for somebody who hasn't played tennis really in his whole life, who's never owned a tennis racket. Uh, the guy did damn good. I'll tell you, for me personally. I haven't played a, a full match of tennis. That's, you know, best of three sets. I haven't played that in seven years, six, a little six years and some change. It w- it made me tired. I don't know how many calories I lost, but I, obviously I, I look a little bit like a baked potato right now. And when I was out in the court, I probably lost a couple pounds. That's for sure. That's good for me. But I'll tell you what, it was a hell of a time. I needed some Pawnee water. Um, but it was it was it was a lot of fun. I think. And by the way, anybody who's making fun of me that the video is not going to be edited anytime soon, it'll be out early next week. So why don't why don't everybody chill out? Yeah. I'm not the world's biggest video editor. Do I look like somebody who can video edit videos uh, nonstop? You do fantastic. I don't. I, I think I do a decent job with putting together these little things. I get a little help from Trace and Casey when it comes to the finesse of it with the little graphics at the beginning of it and everything like that. But I put it together in a nice little way. So I, I don't want to hear your slander. Um, that'll be out early next week. I think everybody will like it. You might, if you, I'll tell you what, if you haven't paid for box lunch or haven't paid for our video game streams yet, I think this is going to be worth you paying $10 for. I I really do. Not to mention you you get a bunch of other perks, like Casey said. Um, but it was, it was fun. My tennis coach, my, my high school tennis coach was there helping me out. My grandparents showed up to it. Um, that was a wild move by them, but they showed up. They were up in Bam the balcony. That's right. Well, that's almost it. But yeah. Um, so what is go it? check what, it out. What, what is it? Mama, Mama and Papa. Mama and Papa. That's right. What was that, Lindsay? <laughs> are you laughing at me? I can't say anything. Lindsay, what do you call your grandparents? Uh, my one set, Grandma and Grandpa, and then my other set, Nana and Papa. Okay. All right. So I, I feel I feel better. She was laughing at me because I called my grandparents Mama and Papa. But Mama. that's you want a hot take. You want a hot take about the tennis match yesterday? Yeah. Trace did did play well. And as as you alluded to, I think there was uh I think there was some practice beforehand. But I think that if you play five times in a row, I think you win all five times. I think that there is a greater chance. You ready for this? Are, are and you sneak it out. Are we spoiling it right now? Yeah, well, he, he seems like he's spoiling it. Oh, sorry, it. I didn't I, I didn't I didn't mean to spoil it. No, you're not spoiling, you haven't spoiled it. I haven't spoiled anything. Your phone dropped. Yeah, I'm, I'm all, all sorts. You're of rattled flustered. now. I'm all sorts of flustered. You know what? How, how are you gonna bring it back? How are you gonna bring it back? Uh, land this plane. I'll tell you this right now, that I think that your golf skills are better than Trace's tennis skills. Thank you, and I think that's fair. I think that, that's, that that was that was my hot take. Trace was better than I gave him than, than I gave him credit for. I didn't think he was gonna be competitive. What's like I didn't think he was gonna be able to hit it back over the net. That was hard. Um, that was that was. 
And he was, he was hitting it with, you know, with not spin, but he was hitting it hard. He was hitting it firm back to me. So. Yeah, a little velocity. Good for Trace. Good for Trace. It's going to be a fun match. You'll, you'll, you guys are going to enjoy it. it was, I'll tell you this. I won't tell you who won. It was probably closer than it should have been. I would agree. I would agree. You can imagine what happened. Maybe. You can, you can imagine what happened. I think that Elliot. the ball boy stole the show. There was a ball boy in it. There, there was, was a ball, ball boy, and he did great. I think the ball boy stole, stole the show. All right, so you wanted to talk about Joe Lenardi. That's right. We alluded to this in the intro. Joe Lenardi puts out his, his bracketology on ESPN, and I think if you are in the know when it comes to college basketball, you don't give a whole lot of credence to Joe Lenardi, but the lay person, like, I wouldn't say I'm in the know when it comes to college basketball, but I, I enjoy it. And Lenardi, he's on ESPN. He was the first kind of to the market when it came to the bracketology stuff, kind of coined the term. So what he says still holds some weight to the lay person in college basketball. Similar, like we always argue about the AP poll. Like yep. if you're in the college basketball now and you watch, you don't really care about the AP poll. But uh, the person that just turns on the game and sees the little number next to a team's name, you, you think that's a pretty good team. Lenardi still doesn't have the UC Bearcats uh, in the tournament. Despite, what, four ranked wins in the Big 12? Yeah. Three. I think it's three. Three. You asked the question, what the hell do they have to do to get in that? I, and this is where – Casey sent me something yesterday. I'm not going to credit who, who compiled this uh, <laughs> because in Casey knows why I won't. Uh, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a little comparison. I'm going to point this – I'm going to paint this picture for you. Um, Ken Palm. UC is ranked 30th. The University of Kentucky is ranked 27th. Offensively, UC ranked 68th, not the best. Kentucky, they're ranked 7th in the country. Defense, UC is ranked 16th in the nation. Kentucky, 102nd. The net, UC is ranked 30th. UK, 26th. Record, UC 15 and 7, UK 15 and 6. Ranked wins, UC has 3, UK has 2. One of their wins was against Miami, who hasn't been ranked in months. Projected seed, UC, not in the tournament. Projected seed for UK, 5-7. to seven. That is nonsensical. And I get it. It's just a projection of what's to come, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. We're not expected to beat Houston. We're not expected to beat um, uh, TCU on the road. We're not expected to win all these games. I get that, and Kentucky probably is. For the most part. But I, I do think it's saying something that we're still on the bubble and we've had a damn good season. If we beat West Virginia, we'd be in right now, and that's whatever. And, and Lenardi's respectfully, Lenardi's not the the world's greatest bracketologist. Just despite, what, he, do it right. despite what ESPN claims. So right now we're in the first four out. It's us, St. John's, Colorado, and Wake Forest. We're the first four. The next four out, Memphis, Villanova, Providence, Oregon. The last four in. Florida, Butler, Washington State, Seton Hall. Last four buys, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Virginia. I think you said nine SEC teams are in right now. Is that right? Uh, I'll pull it up. But I think nine according to Lenardi, it was like nine Big 12, nine SEC, which nine is – it's happened before. I think one time there's been 11 teams from a conference. Back in 2011, 11 yeah. Big East teams made it. But other than that – like, very rarely do eight or nine teams make it from one conference. And, again, I'm not saying UC should be a seven seed, a five seed, a four seed. I'm just saying they should be in the tournament. I think they've proven up until this point 
that they are a tournament team without a shadow of a doubt. If And again, Reed makes fun of the close losses, the moral victory stuff. I do think it it says something that we are in every single game. We we are we are losing or winning every game by one to five points. It, it's never a blowout ever. We have not been blown out yet in the Big Twelve, and maybe that changes Saturday at home. Maybe Houston will will have our number. Defensively, they're dynamite. So it'll be a low scoring game. I bet the final score of that UC Houston game will be like fifty two to forty eight. But saying all that. You can't look at UC's resume and say they're not a tournament team. I don't know how you, I don't know how you say that. Right now we need nine wins. Right now we need nine wins to get in. I think we're more than on pace to hit that projection. If if UC beats Houston this week, yes, their chances right now sit about sixty percent of getting in the tournament. If they beat Houston at home this week, how high do those skyrocket up? Because, like, Lenardi's next bracket would have UC firmly in, I'd imagine. If they don't, then what the hell are we doing? And then, like, it would take some bad losses to get out of there. It would take losses to Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia all being at home. Those are all three games that the Bearcats absolutely have to win. But if they beat Houston, I wouldn't. that, that certainly doesn't seal it up, right? You can lose the rest of the games, but... I would say your chances of making the tournament jump up to the 80 percentile. If you beat Houston, you jump into the last four buys, I would bet, is what happens. And then if you beat somehow, by God's grace, you beat Iowa State also at home on Tuesday, then, then we're talking then we're talking seven six seed. That, that's when we start that's when we start believing. Because this schedule from here on out, and again, it's obviously it's still tough, but it's winnable. I think Houston at home is tough. I think that's a loss. We're going to do some projecting right now. I think we okay. lose at Houston at home. I think we lose to Iowa State at home. I think those are two losses. I think we're going to beat UCF on the road. We're going to beat Oklahoma State at home. I think we go into TCU and win that game on the road. Houston on the road is another loss. That's three losses. We're at eight conference losses. Or seven, eight conference losses. Uh, you beat Kansas State at home. Kansas State coming off a tough, tough win. Uh, against Kansas last night. I think you beat Oklahoma on the road, and I think you beat West Virginia uh, at home. So that's one, two, three, four, five wins. Six wins, sorry. That's, that's, that's nine. That's nine and you're in. Nine and you're in. Nine and so that's what it, So that's what it comes down to. But to your point, if, if we're able to somehow beat Houston and Iowa State, then it becomes a different story. It doesn't become about getting in. It becomes about what seed we're getting. And I think if you're able to – we have what one nine games left. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games left. If you're able to win seven of those games, uh, you're, I think you see a five seed. What if what what is absolutely they would be if they beat if they beat number two Houston if them number five Houston twice while beating number fourteen Iowa State. I think they're a five seed. What are the expectations for the University of Cincinnati this year? Is it just get in? Yes. Uh, so like that's, that's the, the bar. That's the bar. Yep. You get in. Everything's gravy after that. You don't get in. It's a disappointment. Correct. Correct. W- would, I, I, were I, those the expectations before the year? I or think that, expe- is that where they have gone my now? Ex- my expectations this year for, were for Wes Miller to, to show me something. And, and he, he did. And he showed me something. He's, when, when we're competitive in every single basketball game we play, that is showing me something. Okay. If you, if you don't want to count moral victories and all that stuff, that's your prerogative. That's fine. But for me, I needed to see you see – be 
be able to show that we are a Big 12 member. We're, we're able to compete with the big boys. We lost by we lost to Kansas by five points in Fog Allen Fieldhouse. If you would have told me we would have been in that game in the final three minutes last year, I would have laughed at your face. How does that, how does that loss make you feel? The loss makes me feel fine. I think that's a fine loss. I think you could have won the game. I think you certainly could have won that basketball game. Is that one good for, for, good for morale? Yeah, it is. I, I There's a couple of those losses. The Texas loss, disgusting, brutal, horrible. The West Virginia loss, terrible, wretched. I think Oklahoma, you could have won that game. Every game we could have, every game we've lost in this conference should have been won, could have been won. So I think that's where I am. But just saying all that, back to your original point, um, I think the expectations were for, for Wes Miller to show this fan base something, bring the program back a little bit, take a step forward, and if anything, he's done that. Whether or not we make the tournament, he is taking a, a huge step forward. Now, if we go and collapse and we lose out here on out, then we have a different conversation. But there's no reason to believe that's what's going to happen. John Newman being hurt uh, could be the difference here. I think he, he played, he battled through that injury uh, on Saturday. But I, if he's gone, that's where I start to get concerned. If we lose another guy, uh, whether that be Day-Day or – um, CMOS again, whoever it is, we can't lose any more guys. Uh, hopefully CJ Frederick is back. Wes Miller said yesterday, I believe, uh, on Lance, on Lance McAllister's show on 700 WLW, I believe Wes Miller said he's not going, if, if the game was tonight, CJ Frederick wouldn't play. I, it's probably, he's probably not going to play Saturday against Houston, but he will 100% play before the end of conference, uh, the, the conference schedule. Mm -hmm. So if we can get healthy, if we can, if, if we can, if we can be 100% healthy, uh, I think UC is a bona fide tournament team, and I think they can be, they can make noise. I think UC and Xavier are very similar in that the difference. I think UC's floor is way higher than Xavier's at this point. I think that's fair. Okay. When you lose by 50 to UConn, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. So in losing to Oakland and Delaware certainly don't help their cause. I but I do think UC and Xavier are in the same boat oh. where. Will we win a tournament game? I don't know. Maybe not. But I'll tell you what: these two teams, you do not want to, you do not want to play them uh, in round one. You don't want to do it. How great! How, first off, I wonder what we'd be talking about when it comes to Xavier if they didn't lose those two terrible games to to Oakland. Yeah, they'd be in the tournament. Like, well, like I just wonder how would we be discussing them because every time you talk about them, you go like. Ugh. They lost those two games, and now it's, oh, you lost to UConn by 40, even though UConn is by far and away the best team in the country, at least by, um, at least by my eyes, the eye test, as they, as they like to say. What would the price be on a, on a, on a Xavier-UC first four game? What would the price to get in and watch the <laughs> $500. $500. And be, I'd pay it, too. It would be insane. I'd pay it. It would absolutely be insane. Who won the neutral game when we played at uh, – fifth? Uh, they did that Heritage. for a couple years. Yeah, I, who, think. I wonder what the record was for those two. I don't know. I don't know, but thank God they don't do that anymore. That's horrible. They, thank God they don't do That's that horrible. anymore. Yeah. Mouse Cop with an intelligent comment. Clifton isn't making the tournament. And this is the this is the thing about Xavier fans. Oh no. They root for UC's law. I don't root against Xavier. That's that's the craziest part about all of this. At no point do I root against Xavier. Do I make jokes? Sure. But like there's Xavier you root fans against Xavier. I do not. I do not. I don't root for Xavier to lose by 40 to UConn. That's not what I do. Do I think it's do I do I think it's somewhat funny that they lost to Delaware and Oakland at home? Sure. But I, I'm not going to sit out here and Joe root. Flacco's. I'm not going to sit out here and just non non stop make fun of them for it. I, I I think it's I think it's relevant to this discussion. 
UC and Xavier right now are two teams that you don't want to play in March. If, if, if you're a five seed, four seed. Which Delaware Joe had a better year? Joe Flacco or Joe Biden? Joe Flacco. 100% Joe Flacco. Lost by 40 in the playoffs. Damn. You're right. But he came back. Hmm. Hmm. You're right. Hmm. Did come back. Xavier, what's Xavier's path? Xavier's path to get in is quite simply win the games that you're, you're supposed to win. They, they still don't have that marquee win. They still don't have that marquee Does win. They've the, got to get one of them. Do, do winning the games you're supposed to win, is that enough for Xavier to get in? I, I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll pull up their schedule right now. Where they have it? Sit, sit with 12 wins yeah. as they currently sit. If they win, you know, all the, they, they've got to, got to, got to, at some point, get that marquee win. It's, it's eluded them. And, and I, I asked the question, if they would have beaten Oakland and Delaware at home, what would we be talking about when it comes to the Xavier team? I think that's exactly what we'd be talking about. Like, yeah, this team is, uh, is playing well, but they don't have that win. I don't think a win at home against Villanova is that marquee win. That's no. a big win. Winning, winning That's a quad at, one win. Winning at home against Villanova, in my opinion, is holding serve for Xavier. Right. Which is good. You need to do it. It's got it's gotta come you've I gotta beat Marquette. Creighton. You've gotta beat Marquette. Like oh, I don't think you have to beat Marquette. Like if you I, beat Creighton or Marquette at home, that's good enough. If you meet Marquette on the road, then yeah. But you're you're looking at they certainly have twelve wins. So you, you beat Villanova at home. All right. Uh, you go on the road and beat Seton Hall. That's gonna be a tough that's a tough win. That's a yeah. know, Seton Hall. Seton Hall certainly a, a Seton, Seton Hall, according to Lenardi, say what you ever. So he's the la, they're the last four in. That's the tournament team. Okay, so yeah. So by the way, Villanova is not a quad one win because that's at home. They would they would not be up there. But Seton Hall on the road to quad one. Uh, Providence at home isn't a quad one, but that's a game that I think you got to win. Obviously, beat DePaul, Georgetown. I think you got to. Butler's a sneaky tournament team. Butler can, can sneak into the tournament, so going up to Butler would be a good win. But I think it, it, you've got to beat one of the, the top teams in the conference, whether it's Creighton or the two games against Marquette. You've got to win at least one of them, and then you could start, in my opinion, being taken seriously as a, as a tournament team. Like I said, they've got better odds to make the NCAA tournament than the UC Bearcats at this very moment. It takes what? One law? I mean, what, what would I mean, you lose, to, you lose to DePaul or Georgetown. Smell you later. If you lose to Villanova and Creighton at home, is it over? Yes. Probably. Yes. Okay. There's two different scenarios, in my opinion, when looking at Xavier's schedule. It's you win the next four, lose to Marquette, win the next three, lose to Marquette again, and you probably are fine. You, you have one win against Creighton, mm -hmm. but you, you're sitting at what? Uh, they're at 19 wins around that. Yeah. If you do that. The other scenario is... They get to 19, is, 18 wins. I think they're... they're yeah. If they get to 18 wins and then win a game in the Big East, then they're in. Yeah, the if, they, if they happen to go 18 wins and sneak a win from Marquette and one of those wins, I think they're in. I think that's the other scenario. Those are the only two scenarios that I can see them making it, though. If they, if they only win 17, I don't know if they can Oh, no. It. Like, if they win 17, they'd have to make a serious run in the Big East tournament. Um, yeah. Which they've had short exits through through most of the the recent years. Um, I think they went to the semifinals last year, if I recall. That's coming off the rip of my head. I believe the semifinals last year, um, but I don't know that. Really, right. the tournament starts now for them. What do you say? I said, really, the tournament starts now for them. Yeah, you've. I mean, when, and that's for both teams. I when, think that's for UC and Xavier. I think the tournament is essentially now. When you are trying to sneak your way in, 
then yeah, the final month of the year certainly means a lot more. And, and they, they knew the hole that they dug themselves when they lost to Oakland, when they lost to Delaware. Um, yeah, I know I, we talked about what's the expectations for UC, and it's a disappointing season if they don't make the tournament. It is a exceptional year if they make the tournament. I don't think the bar's that high for Xavier. I don't, like, I don't, based off of what I've seen, if they don't make the tournament, I'm not going to be overly upset. No. Because of how young the team is, because of all the inexperience that they had. Um, I think I'd be more disappointed if they don't get that marquee win. Like, if they don't get that win against one of the ranked teams in the, in the conference. Like, if they don't beat a Marquette or a Creighton at home. I'd be more upset if that doesn't happen than if they don't make the tournament, I believe. And I know that sounds crazy. You make fun of me because you say I'm not a real Xavier fan. I don't know what, what constitutes that. I've noticed that you called your, your tennis coach a fake Texas fan, too. Correct. Is that is that is that where you get your jollies? Just just calling people fake fans. I do. I think I think I think that's great. Uh, Jerome Hunter was injured, by the way, yesterday. I season. I believe it's uh, unless I could be wrong on this. I believe he might be done for next year as well. Um, I don't know if it was. Oh, he's a, gonna be done for next year. Uh, did you not see this? No, I did not see this. See, I, and this is why some people say that he's a fake Xavier fans because one of their best players. Oh, sorry, is, I don't get on. Uh, he's one of our best players. He hasn't played all year. Correct, but for next year he will be. Right. But, it, like, I'm sorry I don't live my life on Twitter. I have to go find it now. Where'd you see this? On Twitter. Oh, I don't live my life on there. Sorry, I miss a lot of things. See what I did there? Strays here. Hold on. Mouse Cop, let me know. Is, is Jerome Hunter out for the year? Next year, too? Stop speculating. He said, what are you talking about? Stop speculating. Shame, 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 shame. He, he's he's uh, exploiting the chat. But, yeah, that's that's – while he finds that – I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to lay the groundwork for a new game that we have. Now, it's not Smugger Pompous. I know you guys love that game. As, as happy as it would make me to bring back Smugger Pompous on this beautiful Monday in this final 30 minutes of our show, I'm not going to do that to you. It's not buy or sell. It's not fraud or for real. But it is of the similar format where I give you two options. In today's game, it's going to be called over-under. So I'm going to give lines on different sporting sporting things here in Cincinnati. Okay. And you're going to give me the over under. Did you find out if Jerome Hunter's like I'm trying to find never it. Never going to never going to walk again, never going to play I'm, basketball I'm trying, again. I'm trying I'm trying to whatever find you it. speculated. Continue continue. And your you words. remember when you did this, you said I can't believe you didn't see that and then said this is why I think you're a fake fan and you've now been searching it for 5 minutes and you can't find it. That does seem to be that does seem to be an issue. Yeah. Hmm. Continue please. Yeah. It's torn Achilles. I'm trying to. I'm trying to see. I, Paul tweeted about it yesterday, so oh, okay. whatever. Hmm. That's that's interesting. That I'm a fake fan because I didn't. I didn't know that's something that you can't even find. <laughs> Let's play over under. Let's play over under. All right. So here is the over under for the first one. UC Xavier over 0.5 tournament wins. For both, this is a combined. Combined, will the over. two programs over. win a tournament game? A over. tournament game. You're taking over. the over, Casey. I'm taking the over too. What are the odds on that? If you had to, if, what do you think the odds on that? Well, they're both like at this. If either one of them make it, they will be the underdog. Like they, 100%. like I don't, I don't. You talked about UC being a five seed. Um, if they went out, they're a five seed. Well, yeah, yeah. If they went out, sure. Nice. And, if, and if Xavier wins out, what would they be? Seven seed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen. Let's not let's not talk about that. They're both they're more likely going to be a 10 seed 
At the very highest, they'll be a That nine. was, by the way, I want to apologize. That was a bad look on me. I made fun of Reed for not being able to find it, and then I then just couldn't find it. So, torn Achilles for uh, your boy. Yeah. Does that constitute as an apology? I didn't, hear, a, I didn't hear an um, uh, I apologize. Oh, thank you. I, I accept your apology. We can move on. Oh, did you can say, you say I'm a Xavier fan? Huh? I'm taking the under. I, don't, I, think, okay. I think that one team will make it. I don't think they'll win. I don't okay. think both teams are going to make it. All right. So I'll take the under on that one. All right. Purdue. We've talked a lot about Purdue over the last few years. They've been the number one team in the country last year. They've been the number one team at times this year. Um, one of the best teams in the country two years ago. They have been unable to get to the Elite Eight with this current iteration of the Purdue Boilermakers. So Purdue tournament wins over under two and a half. That would get them. Not only would I bet the under, I'd that would bet, get them to the, to the Elite I'd Eight. I bet alternate line under a half. They're not making it out of the first weekend. I don't. I don't want to hear those Mickey Mouse calls when we get to the NCAA tournament with Zach Eady going to the line 400 times. I'm not seeing it. I'm not messing with them anymore. I, I've seen what this team does in the tournament, and it is choke, choke, choke every single year. Under, under, under. I don't know if it's the contrarian in me because I did this with with the NFL. Right, like uh, Trace has done this with the Dallas Cowboys over the last few years. Everyone calls them frauds, calls them frauds, and he's like, I don't know. I think they're pretty good this year. And they get in the tournament and they lose. And it's just, it's a big joke, right? Every, yeah. year, every year that happens. And Purdue has very much felt like that team. You know, it's hard for me to imagine being the best team, one of the best teams in college basketball over a three-year run and not having tournament success. I think they made the Sweet 16 two years ago. They obviously got bounced in the first round last year. I think this is finally the year that Purdue gets over them. I think they get to the Elite Eight. So I'm taking the over. It's a bad pick by you. No, we'll see. We'll see. Casey, you got, a, you got an opinion? Uh, I think it's the under as well. I don't know if I don't know about Elliot's prediction of the alternate line, but I just don't see them. Even if they win a game, I feel like you can't trust them. So that's my favorite opinion about Purdue that has been said on the show was uh, Tom last year, late in the year. Purdue was number one, and it. I don't know if it was Tom's first time seeing Purdue. But he came in and he just asked Paul point blank. He just goes, when Purdue loses, what what happens? Because if you watch Purdue and they win, yeah. it's it, it's very dominating. Yeah. You know, they throw it to the big man. He turns around makes a bucket. And that's pretty much it. All, the, all they got to do is have the guards on the outside hit a few shots, and they're very tough to beat. But as we know... Those those guys on the the perimeter they don't hit a lot of shots and that's been the that's been the cause for concern. I'm taking the over. In 2021, they lost to North Texas, the 13 seed, in overtime. Okay. In 2022, they lost to the magical St. Peter's, a 15 seed, in the Sweet 16. They lost to Farley Dickinson, a 16 seed, in 2023. Oh my God, they haven't even beaten a top 10 seed. So I I have a hard time believing this team is going to win. So I yeah I'm out I'm out. Yeah. Give me the over. <laughs> over, under, two and a half years till college athletes across the board get paid. Obviously, Dartmouth set the precedent. You're talking about, you're talking about like the water polo team? Yeah, I'm saying like if the precedent has been set that college athletes are employees of the universities, then in theory, across the board, they will start getting paid. Over and under two and a half years. Under two and a half years. And that, this is, I'm assuming you mean all college athletes? Then, right. then I would take the under. Then I would take the under. I, I, I do think this is an issue uh, that's going to be dealt with over the long term. I would say within 10 years for sure. Okay. Two and a half years is a little too soon. So you're taking – it's going to take longer. 
Over? Yeah, over. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. The Dartmouth. 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 I'm going to continue to say Dartmouth because it's funny. Um, (laughs) Dartmouth players. The university doesn't even give out sports scholarships. They don't give out. They don't even give out that sort of money to those guys. So the fact that they were able to convince the school or convince whoever to approve of them being employees um, makes me feel like it's closer than we think. Um, it might get denied. And that notion is still being uh, going through the, the system right now. So I, I don't know if two and a half years is the right number, but I do think – We'll see it within five to ten years. So, so you're taking the over as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does seem anything when it comes to bureaucracy and things like this, it, it, it's slower rather than quicker. Um, although I would argue the NIL stuff, which has been around for how long? Three years now? Yeah. Or has it been longer than that? I really don't even know. That that stuff came on in a, in a, in a fury. Um, yeah, I'll ride with you guys. I'll, I'll take the over. I think it's going to be a little slow, but I do think that this will change the current um, status of amateur athletes here in America. All right. This is one Elliot brought up. Over a half series win for the Reds this year. I think that the Reds win a playoff, playoff series. I think playoff the Reds series. win a playoff series. Over, over they win a series all year long. Could you imagine if they went the entire year without winning a series? <laughs> over playoff series. Uh, by the way, I think if the Reds didn't win a series all year, I think Nick Kirby would still be excited for every single game. <laughs> what a Kirby stray. Uh, that was a Kirby. That's my bad Kirby. That's my guy. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to win a playoff series this year. I'm going to say that they are going to get into the wild card, and they are going to sneakily beat somebody in five games. Wait, so you think that they sneak in, they don't even play the wild card round? No, they do. Is that three? It's three. Then they, they win it in three. Under. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't I, – I just – listen, I, I know, I know it's, my, uh, it's my shtick that I hate the Reds and all that stuff, and I like, and I like poking fun. As I've mentioned, everyone I, I love and like in this world are Reds fans. Um, I just think there's too much in the Reds front office. I'll give them credit have done as much as they can to limit the uncertainty that it is with these young players. But it, it really does come down to whether how, how well these young players perform, can they replicate what they've done last year? Can they get better than what they've done last year? And I just have a hard time seeing though. I see the talent though. I all that I have a hard time believing that when you rely on that many young players, that they all are going to drastically improve. Obviously, there's going to be some players that exceed expectations. Obviously, there's going to be players that um, undermine their expectations. I'm going to say that the, the the greater of the lot underperforms, so I'm going to take the under. Now, would this be similar to what you're what I said with UC's expectations? Are you saying the Reds' expectations should be to get to the playoffs? Are you or or, or are you saying just to improve? I'm not a Reds fan. So I can't make that. From the outside looking in. From the outside looking in, I think that the expectations for the Reds that are should be competing for a playoff spot once again. Not to make I, the playoffs, but for, I to think, be competing for one. I think that if anything less than playing in September, meaningful baseball is, an, is, is, an, is a disaster for the Cincinnati Reds. I think our expectation this season should be to make the postseason, not to win a playoff series, but to make the postseason. 
That's what I think our expectation should be based on every free agent we've signed, based on how, uh, based how the rookies performed last year. I think right now with the hype, the excitement, there might be a little bit of uh, you're, buying, you're buying into something that maybe isn't fully developed yet. They're, they're still very young. They might miss the postseason. But I do think the expectation right now should be to make the playoffs. I, you know what? I, you, you've changed my mind. Yes, I think, that's, I think that's fair. Based off what happened last year, I, I still think that I am, obviously, because I'm, I'm the hater in the room, I, I have lower expectations for them than, than fans do. And fans naturally um, raise expectations because they get excited. I think that it just seems like a setup for disaster when you have as many young players as you do. And like I said, the Reds' front office deserves all the kudos in the world for um, what's the phrase I said for in, in a roster full of question marks, putting some periods, right? Getting James right. Candelario, getting Nick Martinez, getting getting these guys that you know what you're going to get when they show up on the field. I just, I don't know. I think it's a very tough division. I think the National League is very strong outside of the Central. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think making the postseason seems like fine expectations for fans. I think that you guys should should keep it to where as long as you're competing, playing meaningful baseball in September, then that's where you should be. I agree. Brian put it in the chat, and I think this is truly going to be the number one factor for this team's success is health. If, if the Reds are healthy, I really do believe they're a bona fide playoff team. Yeah, and that's the gamble, right? I mean, that's what pretty much any sporting – That's what sports is. Yeah, that's yeah, what with any sports. As long as you have good health, you have a really good chance. I think that the potential of this Reds team, I mean, I, I still kind of am with Tom a little bit. Like, if you were to say that they were to – the, if they were to capitalize on the talent that they have on their roster, if they were to improve like we all expect them to, except for Reed thinks that some of them will naturally regress. Um, I, I don't, so there's I don't probably think some, that I know that. The, there, there's, some, there's some happy medium there. I think getting the playoffs should be the expectation. I think if they're getting in the playoffs, it's going to be the wild card. And if it's a best of three – I think that they can win a best of three, so I'm going to take the over. I, I think it, you can it, win the it, division. I think you can win. And it, Brian, they put can. It, they absolutely have the talent to do that. It's just it, it, they're so like they are. They are a step ahead of the Pirates in that their their talent. They they've got a little more talent than the Pirates, and they've devoted some more resources than the Pirates have. But they are both very young teams, very talented teams that are going to be asking. You know, 24-year-olds, 23-year-olds to play very meaningful games throughout the majority of their roster, and that's very hard. And, and it's not that I don't. It's not that I think that some players are, will regress. I know that some of the players will regress. If the Reds across the board play better than they played last year, yeah. if all the young players played better than they played last year, we're not talking about a Reds team that needs to make the postseason or win one playoff series. We're talking about a team that can win the pennant. That's where it is. Like if Ellie's better, if Matt McClain's better and healthy, if Hunter Green's better, CES, all these guys, if they play better than they played last year and stay healthy, then this team is a pennant contender. In a, in, a, in a league that has the Atlanta Braves, in a league that has the Los Angeles Dodgers, this team, if they all play better than they played last year, it's nonsensical to think that they can't win the pennant. It's just, as we know, that's not going to happen. Some players are going to regress. You see what we did there? We, we got the Cubs fan to that was what's, what's on the roster. Do you think – let me, let me – I'm going to ask you this question. Brian put it in the chat that the NL Central is weak. 
you think it's weak or do you think it's competitive? And I think so, there is a difference. You know, there's absolutely a difference. Like, the NFC South was competitive. It was very weak. Yeah. I think that the NL Central out of the six divisions in baseball is the fifth strongest. It's not stronger than the NL East. Okay. It's certainly not stronger than the NL West. Certainly not stronger than the AL East. And it's not stronger than, than the AL West. The AL Central is the only division at this moment that I think is weaker. If the Reds played in the AL Central, I think that they would be favorites. In all seriousness, I think the AL Central. Is, I, I agree. I agree one hundred. Who is the favorite in the AL Central at this moment? Should I look? Let's is look. it the Twins again? Let's look. Let's look. Let's look. I know people are high on the Tigers. People like what the Tigers are bringing. AL Central, Twins, I believe. Twins. We'll pull. We'll pull that up. But yeah, it's it's. I think yeah, you're right. Both things can be mutually exclusive. It can be very competitive. I think it's the most competitive division in baseball. But as we as we said, it's it's certainly the weakest. The poor White Sox. Or second weakest. You ever feel bad about the White Sox? Never once in my life. That's fair. I that was my favorite thing to do last summer was when the Orioles were winning a hundred games, and the Orioles were kind of in the same spot that the Reds were. Um, a year prior, everyone's like, that's what this Reds team's going to be. We're going to be just like the Orioles. And I was like, hey, you want to talk about a young team that has 20-something kids that uh, <laughs> just a few years ago, a bunch of those kids were borderline all-stars, and you're just thinking, man, this White Sox team's going to be good for a while. Damn. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, Oopsie. I mean, <laughs> literally the whole team is like 25 years old, and they have already, they've already fizzled. Damn. Eloy Jimenez. Um, Cease still hasn't been traded, by the way. Yeah, Luis Robert, Dylan Cease, Yoan Moncada, Tim, great players. Tim, it, um, well, Tim Anderson was Tim was kind of was kind of Tim Anderson was kind of like the the Jonathan Indy. He was there before they got good, and then they made the postseason. I think in 2020, um, and then they competed in 2021, and that was it. And you know what? They hired Tony Tony Larusa. <laughs> what a bad hire. Bad hire. What a bad hire. <laughs> you, got, you got 20-something kids, and you hire the oldest person that's ever been alive. All right, we're off of this topic. Next over-under. Sticking with the Reds. Over-under 0.5 MVP votes for Ellie De La Cruz. Are you buying the hype? I'm buying the hype. Over. Over. I think he's going to have a good season. I, by the way, we, we were talking about this in our Chatterbox group chat. His over-under for stolen bases is 37. His home run total is 21. I think this guy hits 22 home runs and steals 40 bases. If you have a, a sports book standing by you right now, go place a bet on both of those things. Because I think if, if he's healthy, he's certainly going to steal 40 bases. And I, with the power that he has, I don't know why he wouldn't be able to hit 22 home runs. I think he's going to get an MVP vote. I really do. I think he's a damn good player. Uh, despite the hype and everything else, that surround, the, the magic around him, he's a damn good baseball player. He'll get a vote. Over. So to get ten votes, right? To yep. get ten votes, each each writer, all sixty, two from each uh, two from each city. I'm taking the under, guys. I don't know. That's that's big time. Um, yeah, I'm taking the under. I think Ellie De La Cruz. I don't think he can play much worse, but I think he's far too talented. But yeah, I don't think he gets a top ten vote. Give me the under. I mean, all it takes is for him to have a good year, right? I mean, he would. Have, I guess he would have to have the best year. He has to have Reds. a great year. He would have to have. He would have to have the best statistical season on the Reds that current year, right? Like he couldn't play worse than right. McLean's. I, I don't know. That's a tough one too. Um, 
I'm going to just go ahead and buy the hype because he's been touted as this guy that can do that. So I guess I'm going over. I'm trying to find the last red to get an MVP vote. It didn't happen either of the last two years. Did it happen? Joey Votto in 2021 got an MVP vote. Nick Castellanos got an MVP vote. And that was that. They each got some votes. So it's been two years since they've gotten an MVP vote. So can they have a similar year to Joey Votto when he hit 36 home runs? Can they have a similar year to uh, Castellanos in his final year as a Red where he batted 309, 370 on base percentage, 560, 576 uh, slugging? Like I'm looking at who was an MVP, who got MVP votes in the NL last year. Like the guy, like we're talking like Cody Bellinger finished 10th in MVP voting. Like can – can he have a year similar to Cody Bellinger? Sure. I mean, he can he absolutely can. Exceed, can. He, he can absolutely exceed, can. He, he can exceed that. Like Luis Arise, who, who led the league in hitting, was ninth in MVP voting last year. So I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under. I feel pretty good about that. All right. Final one we've got. Final one. Switch it over to the football team. Over 17 and a half games in a Bengals jersey for T. Higgins. Next year? No. Going forward. Oh. So if they extend him, obviously this is going to hit. If they make the playoffs next year and he's healthy for all the games, this is going to hit. Right. I think the most likely scenario is that he's with the Bengals next year and not in the years going forward. So over 17 and a half games for teams in a Bengals. Team. I think I'm going to be crazy here, and I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under. I think they are going to make a move. I think they were going to tag, and they are going to trade him. And we are going to get a different wide receiver in the building. I think that's what's going to happen. It's a wild move. I think it's very likely that he is, like what Reed just said, I do think he is a Bengal next year. But uh, I, I do think there's an option of him not playing. I think that's a possibility. Will it happen again? Probably not. I don't think T. Higgins will do that. But I'm going to say the un I'm going to take the under here. I think they tag and trade. I, I'm going to take the under. I think he plays for the Bengals. Like, I, I think he is a Bengal next year. But I think he's going to miss two games, right, yeah. from being injured, right? He, he's banged up in the middle of the year. Very rarely do you get a guy who plays every single game. Um, and, and T. Higgins missed a couple games this year. To where if he misses two games, then we're, we're talking about them making play, playing in three playoff games. Like, I'm just going to take the under because it seems like the odds are, are, are very great that he plays under – 18 games for the Bengals going forward for the rest of his for the rest of his uh that's fair tenure oh man um I'm just looking at uh projected salary for T Higgins just trying to make sure that this makes sense in my mind I I think you're right Reed um I think it's gonna be the under he's gonna get hurt probably um if they were to get, if he was to get his projected contract, that's four years, ninety-five, and his cap hits would be like thirty million in twenty twenty-six and twenty twenty-seven. I just don't see that happening when they got to pay Jamar Chase. So, I'll I'll go ahead and say the under. Um, this could hit though if they make it to another Super Bowl in that year, because that would be twenty games, mm -hmm. right? So. That would be very, really impressive if he could stay healthy through most of the season and make it to the Super Bowl. If he stays healthy, I like I like the Bengals. Yeah, I really like what they their odds of uh, 
next year. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's... I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. It's very likely that he's a Bengal next season. It's very likely. Hmm. Uh, outside of that, football news elsewhere. We're going to talk more Super Bowl stuff later this week. But I did hear this. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who has been activated by the Chiefs, um, says his Instagram rant was not directed at them. He said, "I never attacked." Directed at. <laughs> I never. This is what he said. I never attacked the Chiefs. Never said anything about the Chiefs. Who I was referring to was the Giants fans and the people in my comments, my comment box, not even on my live recording. So you wouldn't even know they were there, but I was referring to them, which I shouldn't have. I just wanted to go out there. I just wanted to get my message across as far as my injury, but I shouldn't have did that at the end of the day. I'm a man, and I can accept my mistakes just like I accept my wins. I'm just moving past that right now. We're trying to go and trying to win the Super Bowl. If there was anything directed at the Chiefs, it was his message saying that the Chiefs, I think he, didn't he say the Chiefs? Or or did he say that uh, his injury was fake and that the organization was um, lying about it? Didn't he say the organization was lying about Correct. it? Correct. That's exactly what he said. I think that was a quote, right? <laughs> the funniest thing was Andy Reid talking about it. What did he say? He, he basically said, like, the reason Kadarius Tony isn't on the field is because he ain't, isn't good enough or something. Like, like it was... Uh, he just basically shrugged it off and like was like we, we we can't put up with this. Is there anybody that's least more? Or maybe maybe he is valuable. He's valuable in the sense that if he plays, he hurts the team. I, I, he's I mean he's a bad receiver. As a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, and that's what you are. I, I hate Kadarius Tony on the field. You hate him. On I the field. hate when he's on the field. Damn. Hate it. I, I the Chiefs, by the way, and we'll we'll, like, we'll talk more about it in, in, in this coming week. Correct. But what the Chiefs have done. Uh, what Patrick Mahomes has done this year with his wide receivers dropping 40-plus passes, uh, it, it's unprecedented. It's wild. And he should be given some, he should be given some respect. <laughs> That's the thing that Patrick Mahomes doesn't get enough of is, is, is respect. It, it's, you know what's crazy about Patrick Mahomes in this uh, – it's not the twilight of his – he's certainly still young. But when he first like, came onto the scene, he was doing these crazy plays, right? Throwing it left-handed, no looks, bombing it down the field, all these things that – that wowed you and you used to turn, turn on the Kansas City Chiefs game because you were ready to watch Patrick Mahomes do something crazy. He doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. And he's still he's still such a high – it's like he's, he's limited it to just making efficient plays now. And it is, um, it is crazy. Listen, the, the Super Bowl is coming up. I know, it, I know it's everyone's favorite event to bet every year. We'll have some, obviously, on Box bets. We'll have all of our bets that we're going to put out for the Super Bowl, all the props and all that stuff. Did you see Scott Van Pelt talking about they asked him point blank on who he's going to bet on in the Super Bowl? No. And he literally just went on this rant, like this two-minute rant talking about, he's like, I don't understand how the Kansas City Chiefs are favored. I don't understand, like, what is, is going on. With, the, with this line based off how they've played. They've got Patrick Holmes. They've got Andy Reid. They've got the better defense, yada, 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 yada. He's like, and the only reason I'm going to bet the 49ers is because the ticket window for people betting the Chiefs is about a mile long and no one's betting the 49ers. I'm just going to go with the 49ers because it's opposite in the, the public, which is a, a pretty similar thing to what we do here in the office. Literally, I have not heard anybody, anybody at all, talking about this line saying, I – I love the 49ers. That has not been a sentence I've heard for two weeks now. I've, I've not gone anywhere and be like, dude, I'm telling you, the, 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 the Niners are a lock here. The Niners are a lock. It's been a lot the other way. There's been a lot of signs out there. And, again, there was a video posted to TikTok where Taylor Swift 
kept saying her favorite number is 13. All good things in their life has happened on, on the 13th day of whatever month. 13 years, 13 whatever. Brock Purdy's jersey number? Oh. 13. I took a Sam now, Darnold MVP. What was that? I, I took Sam Darnold to win the Super Bowl MVP. Did you really? Yeah. I love it was that. 300 to 1 earlier this week. It's now 200 to 1. All it would take, I think, is Brock to not play the second half. I'm, I think I'm gonna. I think I have to put a dollar on it. I, I think I think it's I 200 to, to 1. I think I have to put a dollar on it. I, um, I, there's another sign. I'm gonna have it ready on Friday when we really go in depth for the Super Bowl. Um, but there is again. I won't spoil it. There's another moon bet. There is another moon bet at play for the Super Bowl. I won't spoil it, but mm. get ready for that on Friday. And while we're talking NFL, we, we didn't talk about this. It's in the, the title of the show. The NFL is going to play a game in Brazil? Brazil on Bra- Friday. Brazil. It's the Friday after the Thursday game, right? It's going to so be. Fr- it's NFL opening weekend. I saw a tweet that made me laugh. It was from an Eagles fan. And he basically said, he's like, damn, we suck so bad at the year. The NFL doesn't even want us playing in America <laughs> to start the season. It is funny. I, everyone's talking about how I saw people in the chat going how it's going to ruin the game that they're going overseas. I disagree. I personally love standalone NFL games. I will watch damn near every standalone NFL Same. game. Yep. It can be on Monday. It'll be on Thursday. It can be at Wednesday at 3 a.m. I'll stay up and watch it because I love the NFL. So I want more of that. That being said, if my beloved Cincinnati Bengals ever play a game over in Berlin, Germany, or London, UK, or Rio de Janeiro. We're, we're due for that. Or Mex- we, we haven't done it in a couple years. It has now. to be next year, right? The thing is, I mean, they did it with the Chiefs this year. I think the last— They did it with the Chiefs sending them over to, to Berlin, I believe, or Frankfurt for, to play the Dolphins. Since the Bengals got Joe Burrow, they've become enough of a marquee to where they, they keep them here in the States. But they're, they're sending now the big time. I mean, the Eagles going down to Brazil. The, the Niners, I believe, went to Mexico City this year. I think the last game we did it was against the Rams, if I, if I, if I was right. Could be. The Jag, poor Jags. I mean, they're just going to have to keep those bags packed because they're not going to play a home game here soon. Yeah, they're the Jaguars gonna, are a joke. They're going to they're gonna take them over to UK. They're, that's legit, that, that legitimately, that franchise is going to move. That franchise is not going to be in Jacksonville. They're just going to ship them to London. Because London, legitimately, they love them. That's London's team. <laughs> oh, man. Is, is Brazil in, this, in the eastern time zone? Got to be. They've got to be in, in a near Let's time zone. So, like, it won't. Because I'm sure it depends on what part of Brazil. Right. I mean, it's a big country. But it's got to be close to the same time zone. Two hours way. ahead of eastern. Okay. So, that's just because they're farther, farther east. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, I love standalone games. If the Bengals ever play a 9 a.m. game on a Sunday, ah, count me out. Count me out. I agree. Uh, the last bit of news we never really touched on, and again, I don't know if they want to. I'm going to do. I'm going to do a little rant here because I, I'm I'm passionate about it, and and I think it's uh, it's important to say. Patrick Mahomes' father has been uh, arrested thir- for the third time now for his for another DUI. If you're going to get into a car while drunk and you're going to drive it, you're you're not a good person. That's, that's a bad person move. You, you can't do it. You cannot do it under any circumstance. I don't know how in the world you're, st- you're, still, you're still able to have a license after you get your third DUI. You're going to you're gonna have to do something else. Learn how to ride a bike, walk, because you can't drive anymore. That's where you lose credibility. I think it's selfish, and I think it's stupid. I think it's dangerous. I think you, you don't care about other people if you have three DUIs. That, that's my opinion. But it's important to say. So 
Good, good for I, good for Patrick Mahomes' dad for being a bad person. The thing is about DUIs are, I think that because I, I I've known a person that has had five of them, and at some point you got to take that person's license away. You have right? to. Like you can't, you can't, and you could be saying like, well, how can they have a job then? How can they do all this stuff? And it's like, well, when you put yourself in situations, you, I'm like. You, you can put you in jail, or we can we can take away your license. So I agree with you on that thing. I I, I, I do think this is is it intrusive? Is it evasive? Invasive to Patrick Mahomes' his life that the news about his dad is like major news? That's crazy, isn't it? Like, is that is that too invasive, or is that just part of being being a celebrity? I think it's, like, I think it's part and of he the- he was a professional baseball player. He played. He was a relief pitcher. In the MLB for a decade, so this is nothing new, but like that becoming major news. I don't know, like Patrick feels Mahomes, a, that feels a, a bit invasive to me. Patrick Mahomes is the, the 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 worst things Patrick Mahomes does is that people get on his family. Like that's the worst thing. He, like that's the only criticism really people have. Sometimes he whines about calls. Other than that, it's all about his family, and I do think that is wrong. So yeah, I, I agree with you that maybe that information shouldn't be leaked and talked about as much as it is, but that is the world we live in today, uh, and it's a shame. And like, does does this happen with people that aren't Patrick Mahomes? Like, does I think any like, celebrity, any celebrity. You is, think, well, like, I'm going to put it this way. If you're in town, um, I, literally, I'm just throwing out a name. If a guy like Trey Hendrickson's dad gets a, gets a, gets a third DUI, is that news? I think that's news. I, think it's, I don't, know, I don't it's think not, that's news. It's not as big as news. It's not as big of news, but it's news. It, it'll be reported. 100%. And then that just goes to the celebrity of Patrick Mahomes, I guess, because I don't think that's news. It's a bad move. If you're I think I, – I, I, listen, I agree. Like, it, like this, is, this is bad. He, Three DUIs is pathetic. I think he spent a, a month in jail. Person. I think he spent a month in jail one time, Patrick Mahomes' dad, is so what I've it. read. So. But we're going to end it on a, on a better note. Casey, I sent you a cherry on top. It might, we might get copyrighted here or stricken, whatever, from YouTube, but I have to end it with this. Uh, this was this was his performance at the I believe the People's Choice Awards. I believe the last performance he ever gave. Uh, and this is Toby Keith's day. Uh, rest in peace to to my favorite country singer of all time, Toby Keith. Um, and I think it's it's okay to end it after this. Read unless you have any final words. But I think this is how we'll end the show today. We'll see you on Box Lunch immediately after, and then we'll have a video game stream after that. Uh, this is Toby Keith, the People's Choice Awards. Don't let the old man in I want to live me some more Can't leave it up to him He's knocking on my door And I knew all of my life That someday it would end Get up and go outside Don't let the old man in Yeah, many moons I have lived My body's weathered and warm Just ask yourself how would you be If you didn't know the day you were born 
Don't let the old man 